Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and other sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros. And let's jump right into this. How are you doing today, Enrique? I'm good, bro. I'm good. It's always a good uh, Saturday when I get to talk to you. Absolutely. Right back at you. And so at the top of the show here, uh, we just want to stop and give our condolences to the families of the 21 victims in the community of uh, Uvalde, Texas, and Robb Elementary School. Uh, just horribly sad, you know, situation going down. And um, yeah, we give our condolences to all of them and something you never want to see happen. Yeah, very well put, Ryan. And once again, you know, um, as a father, I can't imagine um, what those families are going through, but thoughts and prayers and well wishes uh, to them, um, thinking of every single one of them. And sorry that we have to do uh, something like this for two weeks in a row. Um, but yeah, sometimes the world's a little ugly, um, but just keep sending the support down to those in Texas and um, keep your hearts and minds open for them. And with that being said, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do our thing. Absolutely. Yeah. With that said, uh, we can go ahead and move on to our weekly questions here. So our first one, uh, what wide receiver has had a better season? And when we look at this, uh, we're looking at the NFC South, which we're starting our breakdowns on this week here. Um, so our options, you have DJ Moore out of Carolina, Drake London out of Atlanta, Mike Evans out of Tampa Bay, or Michael Thomas out of New Orleans. And for me, I'm going to have to go Mike Evans. Um, I think that like, you know, Tom Brady coming back, clearly he's coming back to get one more championship. And then he, I think he's done after that. Um, he just couldn't handle leaving without having that championship last year, which makes sense with him, you know, like his personality. And so I think obviously Mike Evans being the number one target uh, over there in Tampa, he's going to receive a whole lot of those yards and touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the, the, you know, safe pick for sure is Mike Evans uh, in Tampa or Chris Godwin, um, you know, whatever one you like more. Um, but I think a very sneaky one that I'm going to go with is um, I'm going to go with Michael Thomas mm. of the New Orleans Saints. And that uh, being said, I just think that Jameis used to throw to Mike Evans and Mike Evans has had, you know, I think he's had the longest streak of 1,000-yard seasons. So I think Jameis can get him 1,000-plus yards. Um, and, I mean, I think that now they have enough weapons on that offense to really spread the ball around so he's not going to be getting locked up as much. Teams are going to have to think about maybe moving that primary uh, corner to someone else. Um, you know, talking about Chris Olave or uh, – Jarvis Landry, uh, you know, you got Alvin Kamara down there still, and he's a, you know, very versatile running back. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to open more looks up for him. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that – and even more so, Tampa Bay does have Chris Godwin on the other side, um, and they don't really have an option after that. So it's pretty much lock up Godwin and lock up Evans um, and, you know, the pass catching – options outside of their uh outside of those two wide receivers get a little bit more thin um so yeah i think with all those reasons saying i think that 
if Jameis Winston is going to do one thing right, he's going to make this pick look amazing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think you make a lot of good points. And uh, I guess I would add on top of that, too, coming back from injury, he hasn't played a lot in the last couple of years. He's probably very, very hungry uh, to get back and to rack up those yards and touchdowns. So uh, I certainly would not be surprised to see Michael Thomas take that. Um, and then for our second question here, uh, what Broncos player is primed for a breakout season? we got four options between Draymond Jones, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and then other. And I think I have to go Draymond Jones, to be honest with you. I think, I mean, I love, I've talked about Tim Patrick before. He's one of my favorite players in the entire league. Um, and I think that he is definitely primed for a breakout season with Russ. And I think that their play styles are going to work very well together. Um, and he's probably going to be, I could very well see Tim Patrick being uh, Russ's number one target. Um, and then same with Jerry Judy just because he has not caught on yet um, as much as he would like have or like, like to have in the NFL. And uh, I definitely think he's going to have a good season this year, but Draymond Jones, a guy who has been slowly building and building and building um, a really underrated talent that just has not quite made a name for himself yet. Um, but I think vacating some of the players on that defensive line this off season, when you talk about Shelby Harris and, uh, opening up a good spot for him. And then we've kind of reformed the line around him too. Um, and with a new defensive coordinator, who's going to rush more. Um, I, I'm really excited to see what Draymond Jones can do this year for the Broncos. Yeah, that's a great pick. And that's a great point as well. And I think um, this question is really hard because right off the bat, the Broncos just have so many guys that come to mind. Like, right. You know, I was thinking of Patrick Sertan, Jared Judy, um, you know, you can name any of those wide receivers or, you know, exactly like you said, some of the guys on the defensive side uh, that have opportunities that are, that have come forward with guys leaving, and, um, you know, not bringing guys back. But um, mine's going to be a little bit of a surprise. I'm going to go with Albert O. Uh, and I call him Albert O because I don't know how to say his long-ass last name. <laughs> um, no disrespect to Mr. Albert. It just it is a long one. Um but, yeah, I, the reason why I'm going with Albert O is because I just think with uh, Noah Fant being gone now, he's obviously the number one tight end uh, in the room. And, you know, he's coming back from an injury, you know, so he's going to, you know, be, be ready to play. Hopefully his, uh, his body's right. Uh, I definitely think his mind's right. I've been uh, listening and uh, seeing a little um, media coverage of him, and he feels like uh, he's coming back even faster than he was. And um, then I go back and I look at Russell Wilson's history with tight ends. And, you know, when Greg Olson left Carolina and went to Seattle, you know, he was, he was Russ's, uh, he was a big target for us. Um, and I mean, Luke Wilson, you know, uh, out there in Seattle as well, there's just um, like Russell Wilson loves throwing to tight end. And I think that, you know, Albert O showed a lot of potential with other quarterbacks before, but um I, I think he'll really be able to live to his full potential with a quarterback. I mean, obviously the best quarterback that you guys have had, and, you know, since Peyton Manning was here. Um, so, yeah. And then even more so, I think that, you know, the wide receivers are, they're going to do great as well. But, you know, uh, I would imagine that, you know, there's going to be a lot of open tight end looks um, with Albert O, you know, running down the middle of the field and uh, Russell Wilson throwing dots at him. So, 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with I'm gonna have to go with Albert O, but I like the Jones pick too. Yeah, no, and right back at you. I actually really like that Alberto pick, and I think that that is a uh, honestly probably a even better choice than like Jerry Judy. Like you could put him up there in the top two or three choices. Is like um, I totally agree with you. It goes back to that point of uh, people leaving Noah Fant leaving in that Seattle trade to get Russell Wilson. So that opportunity is now opened up for Alberto, and um, I, I totally agree with you that um, like I think that he has a reputation sometimes uh, in the fan sphere for not attacking tight ends all the time uh, in the middle of the field. But I think that Albert O and Greg Dulcich both work to his strength um, in that they are kind of more jump ball guys um, and have the athleticism to go up and get it. And so I think that that's going to work well for Russ's play style um, and I think that those tight ends are going to get more usage than some people are expecting. Uh, and then especially Albert O. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really great pick there. And then for our third question, let's move over to the jets. What jets draft pick do you expect to have an immediate impact? And our choices here, uh, the three first rounders, sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Jermaine Johnson, and then other. And, uh, for me, uh, I still, I mean, Garrett Wilson is so tempting and we've talked about Jermaine Johnson, how excited I am uh, to see him. And uh, hopefully he pans out after being uh, or dropping down in that first round so far. Um, I really think he's going to be a talented player, but I am most excited to see sauce Gardner. And like, I know that uh, a lot of people like in terms of those top couple cornerbacks, you're considering them more of like a uh, known quantity, but uh, well, I guess that's, you know, kind of the point of like immediate impact. I do think that Sauce Gardner is, uh, you know, uh, cohesive enough as a player coming out of the draft that he can have an immediate impact. Uh, he might have some struggles because cornerbacks, rookie cornerbacks almost always do. It's a very, you know, technical and complicated position. And uh, one of the positions that takes the longest for rookies to adjust to usually, um, like you look at like Patrick Sertan and that is an outlier. And so it, it's possible um, for them to just come on and like look amazing immediately, but that's not always what happens. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad player, which I'm sure, I mean, you know it, Enrique, like any player, especially cornerbacks or like tight ends, those positions that take a little bit to develop and they come out and they're not a star immediately. People are writing up articles and like, oh my God, he's a bust or whatever. Like, no. It doesn't mean he's a bust. It just means the corner position's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I was going to go with Brees Hall uh, personally, but um, I agree to your point exactly. Um, I think Sauce Gardner is going to be the, jet, the, the Jets draft pick that has the most immediate impact um, because of all the things that you just said. You know, um, Sauce really is like – he has, he definitely has that potential to have that Patrick Sertan type of adjustment to the NFL. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, um, you know, I know a guy that we were, both of us were big on. Um, you know, when we at first met, uh, first started talking was Jeff Okuda, uh, right, uh, out in Detroit. And I mean, I still love, uh, I still love Al Jefe out there. Um, but you know, his rookie season, he definitely has some struggles, you know, as well. Um, and so I, I'm not. I think that Sauce is going to have 
is, you know, the typical rookie growing pains everybody has, you know, yeah. moments where uh, they go through those things. But I think Sauce is a, is a true professional. And I think that, um, yeah, I think he's going to get right after. And the Jets are going to use him right away. You know, where the other guys – um, I mean, Jermaine Johnson, you know, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, you kind of can hide them in the scheme a little bit because we have other talented players around them. Um, I'm not saying that we don't have talent in our secondary, but when it, if you compare our secondary strength to maybe our wide receiver group or even our running back group or our defensive line group, um, corners the weaker position group, you know, so Sauce Gardner being the fourth overall draft pick is going to have to come in and you know, deal with the expectations of playing in New York and deal with the fact that, you know, I mean, Bryce Hall on the opposite side of him is a very good second corner. Um, you know, I have no complaints about my two starting corners. Uh, you know, even at uh, the nickel position, I, I feel like we have good depth as, there as well with Michael Carter the second. Um, but, you know, he's going to be asked to do a lot and he's going to be expected to do a lot. And, you know, that's why, just like you said, I think it's going to be Sauce Garner that's going to have the most immediate impact. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I do really like the uh, Brees Hall pick as well, um, that running back. And I, I'm i really excited to see him on the field. Um, I think that kind of, I guess, to the opposite point of Sauce Gardner being the corner and um, that sometimes it does take a little bit uh, for corners to learn and uh, get used to the NFL. Uh, you brought up Jeff Okuda. And then you also think of like AJ Terrell, who had a, a not a rough even, like he was decent in his first year, but he was not yeah. amazing. And then now, what, two years later, I think he's in his third yeah. or fourth year. And he's one yeah. of the best corners in the entire league. So uh, people just got to have a little bit of patience. Um, and even if, which like to your, your point, I think that Sauce Gardner could be one of those guys that just comes in and is able to adjust very quickly. But if he does have some struggles, it's not the end of the world. Um, and he's gonna get better. Uh, you always see that, that jump in year two and moving on with corners. Um, it's, it's just the, the nature of things. So, but yeah, the Brees Hall pick, I really like too kind of the opposite of corner running back is a position where uh, there's not a whole lot of difference uh, there. Obviously there's difference, but in terms of like comparing it to other positions, some positions have to learn a, a whole, whole lot more than others coming from college, moving up into the NFL. Um, and running back is one of those positions where uh, for the most part, historically you look and see that, running backs are capable of coming from college to the NFL and looking pretty similar. Like obviously there's the physical physicality difference and just facing professional players that are better than what you faced in college. Um, but there's no drop off in play from just having to learn the scheme. It's running back is, or being a running back is being a running back for the most part. Um, so Brees Hall being as talented as he was in college, um, I could totally see that as well. And, uh, yeah, one of those players that, I mean, not even just on the Jets draft, but, like, overall in the NFL, I'm really excited to see him because watching his college highlights is kind of absurd. Like, the way that he shifts and uh, jumps or makes, like, jump cuts that are, like, six feet to the side effortlessly while he's in the middle of a run, like, he's, yeah. It, running backs are fun to watch, but especially the ones that bounce around the way that Brees Hall does. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, 
I think Brees Hall is going to be a. I'm still so surprised sometimes that the just the Jets drafted him because honestly, I didn't. Um, I didn't think we were. I didn't think we were like really in the market to take a running back that high. Um, but I'm super glad we did it. Another weapon for Zach Wilson. Uh, and yeah, like, and we had talked about you know this when we um, did our Jets uh, breakdown. Um, <clears throat> that Michael Carter, you know, could use a running mate. You know, and yeah, exactly. A nice shifty guy like Brees Hall works out perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I guess that's another point to bring up is um, sharing the carries with Michael Carter. But um, I definitely think that like with, uh, Michael Carter is very talented, but with the amount of talent that Brees Hall is bringing in, like arguably the best running back in the draft, I, I definitely think he's going to get his share of the carries for sure. Um, so, but yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. And then, so that's going to do it for our weekly questions here. Um, so we are going to be posting these every single week on our social media. Uh, so check us out on Twitter. That is at MHFS podcast on our Instagram at mile high flight show. And then we also have a YouTube and TikTok just under mile high flight show. Um, so yeah. All right. And then let's get right into our NFL news here. So our first story of the day, Nick Foles signing with the Indianapolis Colts to be their backup. Uh, the Colts, we just went over them last week. They add a quarterback here. Um, yeah, obviously not to replace Matt Ryan, I would have to assume. But um, you talk about Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator, the same offensive coordinator in the uh, 2017 Eagles run that uh, got them to the Super Bowl and utilized Nick Foles. Um, you know, you talk about all the RPO that uh, got popular off of that year with the Eagles and um, him being able to step in for Carson Wentz after that injury. So, yeah, I mean, certainly when you talk about the Colts being potentially a contender to have a Super Bowl winning quarterback with his Super Bowl winning uh, offensive coordinator as your backup, uh, just in case, is not the, the worst insurance to have. No, well, to me, this is one of the things that the Colts needed for sure was – yeah. Like you look at some of the holes on the roster. Backup quarterback, you don't you don't usually think of being one, but that's how teams that are contenders, like stay contenders, is you know, God forbid that something happened to Matt Ryan or um, you know, even if he gets a small injury and he's out two weeks or he gets sick or something. Um, you know, just to have a veteran guy that's as good as Nick Foles, um come in and play is huge. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Nick Foles finally goes somewhere because, you know, he was third string on Chicago forever. And then um, I thought Chicago might ride him, you know, all the way through another season. And then they let him go. And then, he, you know, he had a pick where he wanted to play it. So, um, yeah, great, great idea to go back with your, uh, you know, the guy that got you a ring. And, um, you know, try to go get another one with the Colts. Yeah, absolutely. A good landing spot for him, for sure. And then our second story here, Jadavian Clowney re-signing with the Cleveland Browns on a one-year $11 million contract. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot to say there. I think Clowney, obviously, we feel like it feels like we have this conversation every single year is he has not quite lived up to uh, the expectations consistently uh, being a first round pick and, um, but he hasn't been like 
bad. He's a solid starter and he still has that potential. He still flashes it. Um, so yeah, I mean, one year, $11 million, not breaking the bank, but uh, for the Cleveland Browns, certainly a piece that uh, they would have been worse off without. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. It, you know, this is kind of like the Jadavion Clowney like narrative almost every year. Like we don't know where he's going kind of waits till the end of free agency the song. Right. Then either re-signs with the guy that had him last time or he'll like re up, but he went to the Titans that one year, right? Um, but yeah, this this was I mean, because if you're the Browns, who else are you gonna put on the other side of them? Um, of the other side of Miles Garrett, you know. So uh, you might as well just re up with Clowney. He gave you guys some decent production. Um, and at the very least, you know, like he has the potential to go off. Like physically he could go off. Right. Um you know, like, he did really good in his Seattle run, um, you know, but then he kind of, you know, fell back down to earth, so. and But, I mean, even if he has a few games where he's able to do that, you know, it's, uh, it's still pretty cool, so. Yeah, uh, I, I'm okay with this signing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I do think he gets a little bit of, uh, like, too much flack sometimes um, from the media and stuff, because, he's nowhere near a bad player. And like, had he been drafted in like the third, even maybe the second round, to be honest with you, I don't think that the view on him would be as uh, negative as it sometimes is. Um, But because he was drafted in the first round, he has those expectations of being a consistent, uh, you know, good producer. And uh, he just has not quite delivered on that. Um, but he's still a solid starter. Um, and yeah, certainly worth $11 million. So, um, yeah, good spot for him to just stay there where he's familiar. And, uh, then our third story here, Colin Kaepernick finally getting a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders of all teams. And, uh, according to reporters in the media, uh, he impressed and the door is open for him to get opportunities either there or elsewhere in the league. And, uh, yeah, I mean, good for him, man. E- even if nothing comes out of it, you're just glad to see it happen and just glad to see him get the opportunity. Um, and I'm glad he impressed. And it would be interesting if the Raiders do end up picking up, uh, picking him up just football-wise because, like, are you picking him up purely as a backup or are you picking him up to kind of almost fill that uh, Mariota role that now with Mariota uh, in the Falcons you're going to have to change Obviously, you have a new offensive coordinator anyways, so maybe they weren't even going to implement that. Um, but I could see something like that potentially where you have Col- uh, Colin Kaepernick coming in uh, in situations where, you know, you're running like an option and he has he can run it or RPO, make a short throw and uh, something like that. That would be kind of interesting to see. Right. Well, and um... – yeah, exactly, exactly what you said. Um, you know, this is long overdue, um, at least for me. Um, I've been a big fan of Colin Kaepernick since he was at Nevada. And, I mean, you know, you can say whatever you want about his political stances. Uh, you know, that's a different time, different show. Um, but ultimately, like, I, dude has talent, and he had enough talent to be in the NFL. So, yeah. I hope that uh, I hope this does amount to something at the very least. You know, a tryout's a tryout. Maybe someone else gives him another one. And yeah, shout out to Cap one time. Um, good luck. And 
Yeah, I mean, all I'm going to say is if the Raiders sign him, I got to buy a Raiders jersey. Dude. I got to buy, buy a Raiders jersey. I can't, I can't blame you. I, I hate that it's the Raiders of all teams, but it really does make sense when you look at their history. As much as I don't like the Raiders, they really have been one of the most, if not just the most progressive franchise uh, in the NFL history. Um, you talk about the first black, a black head coach, um, like the first woman in a front office role. Like they, they've really uh, done a lot on that front. And I think that like, you know, obviously you hate to say it's like a, just a progressive move or whatever um, if, for just working out Colin Kaepernick, but because of the situation around him and the media stir around him, even if it's unfair to him as a player for that to be attached to him, it is, you know, and so it is a progressive move for the Raiders to uh, bring him in and I'm glad they did it. And, uh, you know, the Raiders still suck, but good for them. Right. <laughs> uh, and then our fourth story here, David Njoku signing a four-year $56.75 million contract extension with the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, something we talked about a little bit off air, like I wasn't entirely sure with Njoku if he was going to stay a Cleveland Brown. Um, you wonder just with having the quarterback situation, you know, even more solidified than uh, some people would have been or considered it to be with uh, Baker Mayfield. Um, maybe that's what tipped it over for him or uh, maybe just the money. It's a pretty solid contract for him. I think he deserves it, but um, yeah, I mean, solid place for him to be. Um, and yeah, surprised he didn't go somewhere else, but you know, can't complain about it from the Browns standpoint. Yeah. Very surprised. And I was telling you just, I was just telling you this very surprised. He's not somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I do think the Deshaun thing really puts it over the top for him. Um, why not? You know, give Deshaun Watson another weapon. Why not? Why not? Why not? You know, why not? Right. Why not? You're better off yeah. with him than you are without him. So yeah. Why? Not? Why not? Why not? But I, yeah, I do. Solid move. Good money. Yeah, I do, I do think obviously uh, when you look at that contract, it's a commitment. So you're committing to David Njoku as a cornerstone player uh, of your franchise. Well, I guess maybe not cornerstone, but a very solid, you know, star contributor for your franchise and you're committing a lot of money to him and a lot of cap space. Um, So clearly the Browns are comfortable with that relationship and how uh, Njoku feels about the franchise. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, that was the concern if they felt comfortable enough on both sides signing a four-year uh, $56 million contract, then, you know, I guess that seals it, but um, cool. So with that, we can go ahead and move on to our first two breakdowns of the NFC South today. <clears throat> we're going to be doing the Carolina Panthers, sorry. And then the uh, new Orleans saints. Uh, so I will go ahead and hand it off to you Enrique for the Carolina Panthers. Thank you, sir. Alrighty. So I got tasked with doing the Carolina Panthers. I, I well, actually Ryan asked me, what teams I would prefer. And I, I picked the Panthers. Who else did I pick? I picked the Panthers and the Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I picked the Panthers just cause I, I think they're a very interesting team. I've always had like a little love affair with the Panthers cause of Steve Smith, but um, their head coach is Matt Roll. GM is going to be Scott Fitterer. Uh, 
you know, Matt Rule is going to be expected to definitely get some more wins this year. Um, going into his third year, um, the last two years have amounted to five wins each, um, and that's just not doing it. Um, obviously, Panther fans had got to a Super Bowl once. Um, they would like to get there again eventually. Um, so, you know, Matt Rule is definitely going to have to do better than five wins this year to keep his job, in my opinion. Um, I think he's definitely on the hot seat going in. Um, but their GM, uh, Scott Fitterer, uh, he just got the job last year, so he should be good. Um, he, you know, had two solid um, draft classes, um, so I, I feel like he's he's good to go, and I feel like he's uh, put players in place that can be cornerstone franchise players for the Panthers going forward. Um, speaking of draft picks, uh, this year, you know, they had they had a few less draft picks than they probably would have liked. Uh, I think they had six draft picks um and last year they had 11 so you know definitely definitely a smaller class for sure um but in the first round they took ikim ikwanu sorry i always i always get that dude's name fuck it's a hard one Um, dude it is a hard one and then i practice it and i still fuck it up the minute we go live like i ah it's terrible anyways offensive tackle they took him uh, pick sixth overall, you know, very, very talented offensive tackle. Um, you know, there's a couple guys that you could kind of swap out as far as like who's your favorite offensive tackle, but this guy for sure is one one or two, um, you know, and yeah, he's just going to be a physical freak on that offensive line. Um, you know, he's probably going to start day one. Um, I, I don't see anyone really uh, giving him any sort of competition. Um, you know, so great pick there. And then um, in the third round, uh, pick 94, they took Matt Corral. Um, and I, I love Matt Corral. Uh, he was probably my favorite quarterback in the draft this year. Um, and I thought it was a very sneaky pick for the Panthers to take him, um, especially once the quarterback started dropping. I, I could have seen like a Malik Willis here. Um, and I think me and you actually mocked him going to the Panthers at six. Uh, Malik Willis, that is. Um, but instead they take Matt Corral. I love the fit. Um, I love Matt Corral a little bit better as a player, uh, than I did Malik Willis. Um, so yeah, I'm not saying that Matt Corral is going to be the future, uh, franchise quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, but at the very least, he's an interesting option. Kind of like Desmond Ritter, um, with the Falcons, you know, he's an interesting Mm -hmm. option to kind of see what you can get out of him. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's at least worth, um, a third round pick. Uh, then after that, they took linebacker Brandon Smith uh, in the fourth round, pick 120. After that, they took Amari Barno, defensive end, in the sixth round. Uh, another sixth round pick, they took Cade Mays, an offensive lineman. And with their final pick in round seven, pick 242, they took Kalon Barnes, a cornerback. Um, so, like I said, smaller draft class for sure, but still got some quality players there. Still got some depth, uh, some depth players there later in the later rounds. Um, but you know, I would say their first three picks, they're going to be looking to contribute. You know, Brandon Smith's going to be a yeah backup depth guy for sure. Um, but you know, depending on how you see um, their starting quarterback, you know, who's Sam Do- Sam Darnold right now, uh, Matt Corral could be definitely in 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 play for some playing time. Um, and then, like we said, Icky's probably going to be a, a starter right away. Um, with that being said, 
you know, we'll get right into their roster breakdown a little bit. Um, so, you know, like I said previously, Sam Darnold's going to be quarterback one right now. Then we have Matt Corral and PJ Walker. Um, and this is just like a relative, like who I think is going to make the roster. Um, so I got, you know, PJ Walker hanging on there. Uh, running back, they got Christian McCaffrey, obviously. They just got Deonta Foreman from the uh, Tennessee Titans. Uh, they got Chubba Hubbard, which is a cool name. Uh, Spencer Brown. And then uh, the Panthers are one of the teams that runs a fullback, and their fullback is Giovanni Ritchie. Uh, wide receiver, uh, they got the stud DJ Moore. They got Robbie Anderson. Robbie with an IE now because he changed his name. Uh, <laughs> He literally changed his name. I like. I, I didn't I know swear that. To you. I swear to you, it used to be R O B B Y, and then on the Panthers' official website, it's R O B B I E. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that's how it was spelled. I thought it was spelled a different way. That's funny. But then, as I was doing my Panthers research, yeah, he literally changed the way his first name spelled. Um, so yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Robbie Anderson, also a former Jet. Um, and then they got Terrence Marshall, they got Brandon Zystra, and they got Rashard Higgins rounding out that wide receiver room. Um, you know, obviously, they have pretty decent wide receivers. Uh, best one there is going to be DJ Moore, obviously, the thousand-year stud every single time. No matter who's throwing in the ball, Robbie Anderson could definitely do more. Um, and, you know, Terrence Marshall, you know, he's still a developing guy. So, you know, they're just going to – see how he is as the the third option there um and then tight ends they got ian thomas tommy tremble and stephen sullivan um they just paid ian thomas so they do believe him and tommy tremble could be a nice you know franchise tight end you know uh duo but um they're both really good at blocking you know but they just paid ian thomas and they gave him a pretty decent chunk of money i think it was like four years 18 million um, you know, so that's definitely a commitment to um, to a tight end. But both these guys have to step up their play. I think combined, they both had like literally combined. I think they had less than 400 yards of offense and one touchdown. So um, definitely. And obviously you got Sam Donald throwing the ball, but uh, definitely lacking uh, in production when it comes to the tight ends. Uh, then at left tackle, we got the rookie sixth overall pick, uh, Ikem Ikawanu, uh starting at left tackle. Then we got Brady Christensen backing him up, uh, Cam Irving, and Austin Pleasance. Um, left guard, we're probably going to get Brady Christensen starting here because um, he can play both. Um, but then after that, you got Michael Jordan. Shout out the GOAT. Uh, <laughs> 23. Yeah, and I don't mean that uh, LeBron's the GOAT. But anyways, um, Pat Elfine uh, and then Dennis Daly. Um to back up Christian at the left guard spot. And then at center, we got Bradley Bozeman. Uh, you got Pal F line backing him up. And then you got Sam Tecklenburg. At right guard, you got Austin Corbett, uh, Deontay Brown. You got Bo uh, Bradley Bozeman back there. And then you got the sixth round pick, Cade Mays. Uh, right tackle, you got Taylor Martin. You got Cam Irving backing him up. You got Christian backing him up. And then you got Aaron Montero. Um, you know, not a terrible offensive line for sure. Um, you know, obviously the six overall pick is going to be the stud there. But, um, you know, if it can just do good enough to keep up Matt Corral or Sam Darnold and give Christian McCaffrey some holes, they should be all right. Uh, get into the defensive line. Um, they got uh, Brian Burns, 
Yeter Gross Matos. You got Marquise Haynes Sr., Austin Larkin, and then the uh, he's either the sixth or the seventh round pick, Amari Barno, uh, rounding that out. Uh, and then when you get into their DTs, you got Derek Brown, uh, you know, first round. Yep, first round pick from back in the day. Um, you got Matt Ionitis. You got Bravian Roy, Davian Nixon, Phil Hoskins, Jacob Toyoti Mariner, and McCarn McCall uh, rounding out that defensive line room. Uh, Brian Burns, obviously a pro bowler from last year, stud. Derek Brown should be a pro bowler, uh, also a stud. Um, you know, and I mean, these guys get after for sure. Um, you got YGM, um, Yeter Gross Matos. He's, you know, a developing player, but he showed lots of potential um, this last year. And then get into their linebacker group. Uh, we got weak side linebackers, Shaq Thompson, Julian Stanford, Azur Kamura, and then Isaiah Graham Mobley. You got middle linebacker, Damian Wilson, Frankie Louvu, and Kamal Martin. Uh, Frankie Louvu used to actually uh, play for the Jets. Um, he, wow. he was he was pretty decent for us, yeah. And then um, at strong side linebacker, we got Luvu starting. You got Corey Littleton, Brandon Smith, Kalan Tolson, and then Aaron Mo- uh, Mosby. So you know, obviously, you got uh, a very versatile group uh, of guys um, at linebacker. Uh, all the Panthers linebackers are a little bit smaller because um, Luvu. Mm-hmm. Luvu is a smaller guy. Jack Thompson's obviously a little bit of a smaller guy. I think Damian Wilson might be the bigger uh, one of the bunch as far as their starters go. Um, but get into their corners. You got Dante Jackson. You got the first round pick from last year, J.C. Horn. You got the first round pick from the Jaguars from a few years ago, C.J. Henderson. You got Keith Taylor, Rashawn Melvin, Stanley Thomas Oliver, Troy Pride, Kalen Barnes, the uh, seventh round pick this year, and then Chris Westry. Uh, and then filling for their nickel spot is going to be Miles Hartsfield. Uh, strong safety, they got the beast, Jeremy Chin. You got Justin Burris and then Sam Franklin. And then free safety, we got Xavier Woods, Kenny Robinson, and Sean Chandler. Uh, safeties, uh, Xavier Woods, I know a little bit less about, but Jeremy Chin's a very good uh, strong safety I think it's only his second or third year in, uh, into the league. Um, very, 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 very good strong safety. Very, very good uh, young developing player. Um, is a little bit of a liability in pass coverage, but, you know, he's a strong safety. So, you know, you just have to understand it's not all of their strong suits to be in coverage. Right. Um, and then kicker, you got Zane Gonzalez. Punter, you got Johnny Hecker. And then kick returner, we got Andre Roberts rounding that out. Um, you know, pretty decent roster. I, it's not like any – you don't really have guy like we just went over that star-studded Colts roster last week. So talking about the Panthers roster is kind of kind of sad, if I'm being honest with you, because, you, you, you know, you only have a few guys that, um, you know, like normal, casual NFL fans would know. Um, but you still got some studs. Brian Burns is a beast, um, and he's just getting better and better. Uh, Jeremy Chin's a beast exact in the exact same fashion, just getting better and better. Uh, J.C. Horn, we didn't see a lot of him last year, um, but 
you know, he is uh, he is back, ready to go. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, you know, you got the, you know, the all being Sam Darnold, you know, at quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, got to watch that. Um, but so speaking of players leaving, so the Panthers had three Pro Bowlers last year. Two of them are not on the team anymore. Stefan Gilmore and Hassan Reddick are both gone, leaving Brian Burns to be the only one left on the team that got a Pro Bowl ball nod last year. And speaking of which, this was Brian Burns' first Pro Bowl nod, but I would imagine plenty to come because uh, if you haven't seen Brian Burns like on tape or like like he jumps off of that offensive line, like you, He's uh, such are, a star. Like, dude, like. I cannot tell you. Every single time I watch a Panthers game, I'm like, damn, that guy's good. Yeah. He's so good. Like, he really jumps off the tape for a defensive lineman. Yeah. Um, and I just love to see it. So I'm a big fan of Brian Burns. Um, and then, <clears throat> obviously, like I said, the Panthers are going to be looking forward to uh, a healthy Christian McCaffrey. He was out 10 games last year, and I felt that very personally because I had him in my fantasy football team. Um and he's easily their best player uh, offensively when he's on the field. But the last two years, he's struggled very, very mightily to be on the field. So, um, you know, whatever CMC has to do to get his body right, I hope he's able to, um, you know, because, yeah, we need we need him on the field all the time, as much as we can. Um, but, I mean, despite that, you know, they still do have DJ Moore on the outside. Um, they just gave him a healthy new contract. Um, I believe he's in the top 10 of, um, top 10 of, you know, highest paid wide receiver. Now I think he might be like six or seven. Um, so, you know, for a guy that's had inconsistent quarterback play, um, you know, he's put up consistent numbers, got himself that bag. Um, and yeah, he is, he is a baller. Um, you know, we talked about JC Horn coming back, um, I believe he was the sixth or seventh overall pick in last year's draft, you know, so you have to understand that the Panthers saw a great amount of uh, potential in him. Um, you know, I didn't do tons of homework on JC Horn last year, um, but I knew that, you know, he was top one or two corners in, the, in last year's draft. Um, and, you know, obviously he got injured. So, uh, I think he broke his foot. And so we weren't able to get a full rookie season out of him but he's looking to come back and add a valuable, valuable uh, depth at corner uh, for the Panthers. And then overall, like Carolina's defense was just weird. Um, you know, they allowed only 305 yards a game, which was second best in the NFL, but they surrendered you know, almost 24 points a game, which is ranked 21st. So when, you know, when I read that stat, I'm seeing, Teams aren't necessarily able to get a lot of yards on them, but they aren't necessarily keeping teams from scoring. Um, so it's like a good and a bad thing, right? You're, you're not able to really fulfill your offensive game plan. That means your defense is doing their job. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with – I mean, Hassan Reddick had 11 sacks for him last year. So yeah. a lot of it had to do with Hassan Reddick. But, you know, you got Brian Burns. They had Stephon Gilmore last year as well. Um, so we'll see if that defensive unit takes a step back with those guys being gone. Um, but nonetheless, I thought that was a weird stat. 
Um, yeah, and so, I, I think that real quick, sorry, I, yeah, I do think good. that has uh, a lot to do with uh, just the offense and the quarterback ineptitude because the Broncos experienced something similar uh, over the last few seasons where we've had a good defense as the Panthers did last year, um, especially with Stephon Gilmore and Hassan Reddick, like you said. And, um, but the offense not being able to do anything and also giving up like interceptions and fumbles and uh, like bad field position and stuff, it, it does a lot of the time end up resulting in uh, like if you have a good enough defense, they can hold them yards wise because the uh, offense literally just has less yards to go like as well. You know what I mean? Since they're getting uh, favorable field position so constantly um, and then they're just getting more and more opportunity to score points too. So it's, it's one of those things like you hate to see it, but like, unfortunately I got Broncos fan PTSD as you read off that stat. And I was like, Hey, that's exactly what happened. To us. Like, no. Yeah. Um, like not but, again, not again. Right. Exactly. Um, and then real quick, while I'm spitting words out of my mouth, I did want to say, as you were reading through this roster, one thing that really stuck out to me is that running back room, like adding Donta Foreman and then you still have Chubba Hubbard, which is in his time filling in for Christian McCaffrey has been really solid. Wasn't bad. Yeah, dude, dude, he wasn't bad. And like, that's, that's a nice room right there. I think that like helps, you know, you talk about Christian McCaffrey's injury. Maybe that helps a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what I thought. Um, when I saw the Panthers picked him up, I was like, that's a big loss for the Titans. Cause he's, he's a violent, strong power back. Yeah. Um, and I like, I thought it was mini Derrick Henry, you know? And I was yeah. like, that's, and they don't have that on that roster either. That like... Nope. And well, and that's exactly what I thought about the Panthers is that they didn't have that on their roster either. So yeah. I thought this was a perfect move because that's not what Christian McCaffrey is. And I think that's how sometimes Christian McCaffrey gets hurt is because they got him down on the five-yard line, which he's shifty and he is strong and he is powerful and he is, you know, he is wise and great. I do love Christian McCaffrey, but you don't need to be goal line fucking yeah. running the ball down the throat with Christian McCaffrey. Like, nah, get a different guy for that. They got a different guy for that. And I'm glad that they did because, yeah, they, they very much needed this uh, running back rebound. I would even say – I'll take a fourth guy in case, um, and God forbid, in case Christian McCaffrey goes down, then I still have, because we saw with the Ravens last year, you can like literally, like the Ravens literally signed all the running backs. Like they signed all yeah. of them. Yeah. All of them. Um, and then they cut them and then they signed them and then they cut them and they signed, it was crazy. Um, but when your stars go down, when your two guys go down, uh, and I think in the Ravens case, it was three guys, right? Yeah, it's not more, to be honest with you. Like, because even the, some know. of the guys that came – like, didn't Le'Veon get an injury when he came in? Like, I think so, yeah. It was so bad. <laughs> it was yeah. cursed. It was a cursed team. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, you really have – like, running back is a position that can go through injuries very, very quickly. So it's yeah. just never a bad idea to have um, more more running backs than you need. Um but yeah, I mean that's some of that's some of the questions that I have for this Carolina Panthers team is, you know, obviously, are we going to see a quarterback controversy? You think in Carolina, you think that 
you know, let's say Sam Darnold comes out, lays a few eggs. You think um, you think they're calling for Matt Corral? I knowing the fans, I'm sure. I am 100% positive. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I get it, and I I think we probably will see some Matt Corral play as well. I don't doubt that we'll see him play a little bit with Sam Darnold being the starter there. Um, you know, but the second question I have is one of the bigger ones, especially for the offense, um, is can CMC stay healthy all year? And I really, really need to see that for the the Carolina Panthers and for Christian McCaffrey, because if I'm being honest with you, I, as much as I love Christian McCaffrey and I just called him all those nice things, uh, I very much am starting to feel um, a little bit of that buyer's remorse. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I literally had him on my fantasy team and I took him second overall. And, you know, like Derek Henry got hurt, too. But anyways, I'm not mad because of fantasy. Uh, he just he's been hurt more than he's um, been on the field. And in the NFL, you're, you know, your best ability is availability. You know, like you, you have to be able to play. And especially when you're you are the offense you are the star player on this team. You have yeah. to be able to stay on the field. So um, what do you think? What do you think is going on with Chris McCaffrey? What are your opinions? Well, and I, I mean, to the point that, that you brought up or points that you brought up, uh, we were just talking about him too, is like, I think by having Chubba Hubbard and Donta Foreman, you help him if you split the carries correctly, which is not, you know, necessarily a given. Um because they do need to – I really do think they need to come into the season with an emphasis on finding a game plan for him uh, where he can come in on whatever um, specific snaps that they want him to and find ways to spell him very consistently. Uh, because, uh, you know, when you have a star running back, their career doesn't last very long to begin with. But then if you're missing those years with injury, uh, it's, you know – what are we doing here? You know what I mean? So from the Carolina Panthers perspective, the best thing that you can do for him is spell him and uh, get people behind him to uh, take some of that load off. And then you talk about specifically Dante Foreman and him being uh, more of a uh, bigger back that uh, can do the more power running. You know what I mean? Like Christian McCaffrey, it's not uh, about, can he do that? He can, like, he's a smaller guy but he's a star running back and he can do both the shifty explosive running, but then also the power running. He has that ability um, and he has the nose for the end zone, but go going back to talking about him being your franchise player and the offense, you can't like, well, you can, but you shouldn't um, do that to him if you don't have to. Um, so getting Donta Foreman to fill in that role let Christian McCaffrey focus on trying to maybe bounce things more outside, um, not get so much into in between the tackles and um, hopefully keep him not injured. Cause I mean, like you said, the, the offense and the team basically runs by him until they get the quarterback situation figured out. And they do have decent enough wide receivers that uh, and tight ends that once they get the quarterback figured out, whether that's Sam Darnold or uh, we have to wait for Matt Corral or I think honestly at this point, I would not even be opposed to bringing in a veteran um, like just to see what you got and maybe to mentor 
Matt Corral. Um, right. But as soon as you get that quarterback situation figured out, then you can talk about like helping Christian McCaffrey with the passing game. Um, but I don't even think we can have that conversation right now with this current quarterback room. So at the very least you have those um, extra running backs there. And I hope that that is going to do uh, Christian McCaffrey wonders. Cause I want to see him on the field, dude. It's uh, it's such a shame for any player to see their career wasted by injury. Yeah. I, well, and especially like one like him, because he like really reminds me of like, you know, white Barry Sanders dog. Like yeah. I've seen Christian McCaffrey just do like crazy, crazy shit. So yeah. the fact that it, like, you know, I mean, I'm getting robbed of that. You're getting robbed of that. My auntie, who's a Panthers fan, she has like literally all three colors of his jersey. She's really nice. getting robbed of that. Like she, yeah, my aunt. Uh, shout out my aunt Asia one time. She's uh, she's a ten toes down Panthers fan. So I love um, it. She was she was even rooting for the Panthers when they played the Broncos in the Super Bowl. I I bet she was. And I'm so, sorry for the pain that we caused them. <laughs> but yeah, the, Von Miller, Von Miller did uh did did that. You you don't have to apologize for what Von Miller did. Von Miller, did. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, then just get into the last question that I had is exactly to your point. Um, can the defense, you know, keep putting up with the ineptitude of the offense? You know, because, I mean, just like you pointed out earlier with you being a Broncos fan, you guys having to deal with that. Um, you know, your defense stays on the field more, like, because the offense is three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Um, obviously, you're losing games. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're just putting all of the uh, all the pressure to win the game on the defense, uh, holding, the, holding the opponent to, you know, fewer points. Um, and without a guaranteed – I mean, Sam Darnold beat the Jets last year uh, with the Panthers, but they also had Christian McCaffrey. Like, there's a lot of things. Um, so I think, like, with Christian McCaffrey, I think they can, like, get into field goal range and do different things like that, score touchdowns. Um, but, you know, without him, I think it's going to be a bit harder sometimes. Um, you know, not saying that DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and uh, the tight ends are enough, or, uh, you know, and especially with uh, Deontay Foreman now, um, you know, but I just think Christian McCaffrey really adds a whole different element to this offense. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, do you have anything else to put on on the the defense there, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and I guess to go back to the Broncos comparison is it's like you know to your point, nothing against DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. That's a solid wide receiver room, um, but when you look at like the Broncos with Drew Locke or Joe Flacco or Trevor Simeon or name any name you want to case Keenum case Keesum, if you're John Elway, um, right. is uh, like the, the weapons we had, it's not necessarily that they're not enough. It's just that you don't have the quarterback to utilize them correctly. And uh, again, potentially Sam Darnold can be that I'm hoping uh, sounds like uh, from some of the stories I'm reading that he's, uh, you know, in training camp with the vengeance and really wants to be better. And uh, I, you know, hope he can do it. He's still a young guy. He's what, like 24 maybe now? Like 25? No, I think he's probably a little bit. Yeah, he's, I think he's like, yeah. He might be like but he came in. 
he came in like he came 21. In, no, yeah, I guess you're right. He came in kind of young. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's still a young. I mean, you talk about, I think like Lamar is like 24. So, you know, you, there's uh, lots of time for him um, as long as he can stay afloat enough to continue getting opportunities, um, which, you know, so I think that this for him, he really has to have a good year. Um, but, you know, if not, kind of with your first question, maybe we do see the QB controversy, I'm sure with the fans. Um, but if it's bad enough with Sam Darnold, I, I would not be surprised to see Matt Carr on there. Uh, I, although if you ask me, I do think that like that would do more harm than good for Matt Corral, which is why I'm kind of on the train of uh, bringing in a veteran that, you know, give Sam Darnold his opportunity to start if you want. Sure. But then just at least have a, a vet that can um, come in and not only mentor Matt Corral, but maybe um, keep mentoring Sam Darnold. So um, I, you know, I, I think in a season that's probably shot anyway for the Carolina Panthers is like, why not at least try to develop them rather than just, uh, cause have it just having Sam Darnold to me looking at that. That's my only like biggest gripe with this Carolina Panthers team is just looking at that quarterback position and you have a young guy that's been struggling and looking for success. And then you have a rookie that is not going to be ready to start and then you have PJ Walker and it's like, there's no other than just your coaches. There's nothing here to build with, you know what I mean? So at least if you bring in a knowledgeable veteran, then you have somebody that's going to teach those young guys. Um, and if Sam Darnold isn't good enough, throw the veteran in there and don't throw Matt Corral in there too early and then screw him up similarly to what happened to Sam Darnold. Like he could have right. very much benefited from not starting. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that I'll say in regards to, and honestly to um, defend the Jets who screwed up Sam Darnold, um, he got drafted third overall. So, right. so there's different expectations got, too. Exactly. So, you know, pick 96 compared to pick three right. is, you know, it's different expectations, different um pressure you know and then yeah. even more so like i if, if i'm being honest with you if um if you would have drafted sam Darnold to the panthers that year maybe he still ends up in the same kind of situation you know i mean yeah i think the panthers probably had a little bit better of, of a team than the jets did at the time but we really didn't have no weapons whatsoever and the guys in charge sucked ass so Sam wasn't gonna gonna get wasn't going to get any help from us, um, but yeah, I mean that Nick Foles going to the Colts would look uh, a whole lot a whole lot smarter if the Panthers did it right. I was just thinking the same thing. It's like that would really be a solid guy, you know, a knowledgeable veteran that's won a Super Bowl. Um, just bring him in and have him be your backup, and then maybe start some games. He's probably not going to be great, but again, I mean if you're the Panthers, what are you expecting the season anyways? So you might as well at least try to make the most of it in terms of development for the young stars that you have. Exactly. And with you talking about their season, I'll use that as my transition into their schedule, which if I'm being honest with you, going through the schedule, it's going to be real rough. So first game right out the bat, they have the Browns. Depending on if Deshaun Watson's playing or not, 
is going to be the leaner to me on if they're going to win or lose. I still low-key think they lose regardless because Baker Mayfield is that dude. But Baker Mayfield sometimes isn't that dude and fucks up and loses a game. So they they could get a dub on that one. But if Deshaun's playing, no fucking way. Then they got the New York Giants at New York. That's probably going to be a dub because the Giants suck. Um, They have (laughs) the Saints, the Cardinals, and the 49ers at home. They're going to lose all those games. Then they go to L.A. and play the Rams, and they're going to lose in L.A. when they play the Rams. Then they get the Buccaneers at home. They're going to lose. They play the Falcons in Atlanta. They're going to lose. They play the Bengals in Cincinnati. They're going to lose. They finally get the Falcons back at home, and I think they win. Then they go to Baltimore and play the Ravens and lose again. Then they play the Broncos, and guess what, Ryan? They lose again. Then they have their bye, and they they don't lose this time. And then I think they go to Seattle, and they, I think they can pull out a dub on the lowly Seahawks. Then they lose to the Steelers. Then they lose to the Lions. Then they lose to the Buccaneers at home at Tampa Bay. And then they, and then they lose to the Saints in New Orleans. So 2022 record prediction. Three motherfucking wins. Yeah, it's that. But I guess tough. that bye week is kind of like a brief respite from the losing. It's just like take a breath real quick. Well, yeah, because I and I mean I have them beating the Falcons because it, it's going to be at you know um, in Carolina, but right. they could literally go like from their second game is the Saints down to their bye week. They could literally lose all those games. I literally only have them winning the Falcons. That's so rough. Beating the That's very rough, dog. Like, I was, like, going through their schedule, and I was like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, 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 okay. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. Yeah. Nope, well, nope, nope. It's, and it's rough. As as we've kind of talked about, it, like, these, this is just a very tough, uh, you know, schedule of teams that the nfc south is facing this year and the nfc south you have two buzz saws at the top it really is not a good situation for the carolina panthers to be in um so it's you know it's certainly not uh making it any easier on them yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be real rough for carolina panthers fans this year but um i think that you know as a jets fan uh, someone that's used to losing in the NFL. Um, you can look forward to high draft picks, rebuilding a team. Seems like you have a GM that has a good head on his shoulders, does knows what he's doing a little bit. Your head coach, I don't know, probably going to get fired this year. Wouldn't worry yeah. too much about it. But if you could squeak out seven, eight wins, which is going to be tough, going to be some upsets on that one for sure. But... If they could squeak out seven wins, I think Matt Rule probably keeps his job. You guys get another high draft pick. But otherwise, my record my record prediction for the Carolina Panthers, three motherfucking wins. So, good luck. And, yeah, I mean, if you're a Carolina Panther fan and you want to DM us and tell us why you guys 
aren't going to get more than three wins, I'd love to hear it because that's a really tough schedule. But it, with that, Ryan, you got anything else on the Panthers before I let you break down the Saints? It's yeah, yeah. I mean that that schedule is it's a toughie. Like the literally looking back over it is like the only games I can even see them maybe getting. You have the Falcons away, maybe, just maybe. If the Cardinals in week three are or week four rather are, uh, you know, well, I guess they will be uh, Hopkins less. They won't have uh, Hopkins. So that, you know, if they're just like crumbling without their top wide receiver, maybe like if the 49ers are not good, but like if they're going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, that's the thing with the 49ers is it's hard to predict them because you don't even know if Trey Lance is going to start and if he's good or if he's not. But I think if Jimmy Garoppolo stays on the roster, there's at least a bare minimum floor of play, assuming that they put him in. Um, so like if Jimmy Garoppolo is facing you, um, I can't see the Panthers pulling that. Maybe if it, Trey Lance is playing and he has a really bad game, like, like a really it, like poor interception game. Right. Like, and that, that's such a talented 49ers team and they still got Debo as long as, I mean, for now, at least, you know, we'll have to see how that situation plays out, but yeah, it's just a tough schedule for the Panthers. And uh, I think that like, there's a lot of young talent. Um, You talk about JC Horn, you talk about Brian Burns, talk about your running backs. uh, You talk about Matt Corral, even, you know, like I said, you just got to give him time but I don't think you want to expect really anything out of him this year. Like in an ideal world, I would not like to see Matt Corral take a single snap. I think that would be fantastic for him. Um, And I do think he has uh, a lot of potential, but I just think that him starting immediately is going to do uh, worse for him than like more bad than good. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's DJ Moore. There's so much, uh, you just drafted Ikem Mekwanu, like you went through that whole roster. There's just so much young talent here um, and they're a quarterback and then, you know, plugging up some holes away from uh, potentially being a playoff team, especially you talk about the Brady list um, Buccaneers potentially next year or the year after or whenever it is, um, depending on what they do at quarterback, that could kind of the trajectories could align where the Carolina Panthers have an opportunity um to make an impact in the division after Tom Brady retires. I think that this year it's pretty bleak, but there's a lot to look forward to if you're a Panthers fan. Yeah, thank you. Very well put. I appreciate that. And, yeah, I'm really excited to see J.C. Horn play. Um, I'm hoping we can get Christian McCaffrey, um, you know, healthy and rocking. And otherwise, yeah, looking forward to seeing – Brian Burns and DJ Moore be some bright spots on that team. Uh, Jeremy Chin, another bright spot. And, but with that being said, Mr. Ryan, we'll leave it over to you to do the breakdown of the Saints. Thank you very much, my good sir. Great job on the Panthers. That was fantastic. And uh, yeah, with that, we'll go ahead and move on to the New, New Orleans Saints here. Uh, so starting with their GM, Mickey Loomis, uh, you know, I think what 20 plus years of the job now considered one of the best GMs in football um, under his staff. They've done a lot with like, there's a lot of talk about the saints and the way that they use the cap. And uh, it's been, I, I guess, I don't know if I'd say the word revolutionary, but it's changed the way that 
um, NFL teams look at contracts. And so part of the credit goes to Mickey Loomis for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, can't complain uh, when you have a GM like that. He's had a, a solid um, drafting record for the most part. And uh, yeah, so then you move down to your head coach, Dennis Allen, a first time head coach, uh, been with the Saints since 2006. Uh, starting as an assistant defensive line coach. This is actually his fifth title with the New Orleans Saints now. Um, and then he, after being that assistant defensive line coach, he worked his way through the defense before being the defensive coordinator for the Saints uh, since 2015. Uh, and then Sean Payton retiring. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some talk of him potentially coming back. You never know if that's with the Saints. There's been rumors of him going to other teams you never know with all that stuff um but right now you're looking at dennis allen and i i mean i think that there's questions in terms of number one obviously he's a first-time head coach so there's always growing pains there and then just the question of we know he's been a a good defensive coordinator we know he's been a good uh, assistant coach uh throughout his time in the league uh he's still a relatively young guy as far as coaches go Um, I think he's in his forties and uh, a lot of the coaches in the league are 50 plus 60. Um, So in that realm, still considered uh, relatively young and um, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens with him. Um, But then some of their biggest departures, uh, obviously we just talked about Sean Payton, the head coach. uh, And then with the players, Teron Armstead going to the dolphins, their offensive tackle, uh, big loss there, great player for them. And then Marcus Williams, safety, heading over to the Ravens. Obviously, I'm pretty happy about that one. Uh, Then Ty Montgomery running back going to the Patriots. Not exactly a high-impact departure there, but um, certainly a solid veteran in that room uh, to lose. And then going over their draft class, pretty small one here to only five players, uh, but most of them have upside to look forward to and Uh, starting with Chris Olave in the first round, the 11th pick uh, out of wire, or he's a wide receiver out of Ohio state. Um, And obviously you know how the saints love their Ohio state wide receivers. Talk about Michael Thomas. Um, That'll be a good duo there. Yeah. Jarvis Landry. Yeah. Good stuff. And then uh, their next pick first round, number 19, Trevor Penning offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. You plug up that spot uh, that you just opened after losing Teron Armstead, um, at least in theory. And then in the second round at number 49, Alante Taylor, a cornerback out of Tennessee. Uh, in the fifth round, number 161, DeMarco John- Jackson, rather, a linebacker out of uh, Appalachian State. And then sixth round, 194, Jordan Jackson, a defensive tackle out of Air Force. Uh, shout out Colorado. And then, yeah, with that, we can go through their roster here. So starting with the quarterback room, uh, obviously your starter right now, Jameis Winston, uh, you know, we could talk about Jameis for hours just on his own, but he's interesting. I know that I'm higher on Jameis than you are. Um, I think that he has the potential You talk about his 30 touchdown, 30 interception season uh, with the Buccaneers in uh, 2019, I believe it was. He has potential. He has a good arm um, and he can make those throws. He has enough pocket awareness most of the time. Uh, And uh, like he has the tools, I would say. 
but he needs to clean up those uh, interceptions, needs to clean up the uh, some of the fumbles that he's had too, and just the mental mistakes and the can, he needs to be way more consistent. Um, and so if he's going to be your long-term starter or even short-term starter, frankly, um, those things need to be plugged up. I think in his limited play last year, we did see some improvement, but then uh, there was one or two games where he fell into a lot of the same traps that he was before. Um, and, and that was after like two years of sitting behind Drew Brees. And uh, so he's had another off season. Um, I think this is because it took Drew Brees a little bit to retire, I guess. So like, if you're not going to call last off season, a full off season as the starter, this is a full off season as the starter. Um, and so he got that from the saints. He's got bundles of talent around him. Um, they added even more talent around him in the draft. Um, so very little excuses for Jameis and the entire season is going to ride uh, on a couple things, but he's one of the biggest factors for sure. Um, and then behind him, you add Andy Dalton coming in from Chicago. Um, obviously, I mean, you look at this and you uh, assume from Dennis Allen, uh, his perspective, that you see Taysom Hill behind that, uh, Andy Dalton there as your uh, second string quarterback before Andy and like looking last year, that was just not enough. And if this is a team that has uh, any sort of playoff in, uh, aspirations, there needs to be a solid uh, backup quarterback contributor. That's not going to tank the team. Um, and Taysom isn't that. So you bring in Andy Dalton, a safe option from Chicago, um, expect him to be the backup and uh, a solid enough quarterback. If Winston goes down, that maybe you can at least get to the playoffs with and see what happens with a very talented roster. Um, so then, yeah, like I said, Taysom Hill behind uh, both of those guys and then Ian Book closing out that room. Uh, moving on to the running backs, obviously you have Alvin Kamara, um, you know, superstar in the league as long as he can stay healthy, uh, huge receiving threat, uh, very good running back, a very good player overall, great instincts, uh, and just a really fun player to watch too. Um, he's got a lot of swag as well. Um, and then behind him, Mark Ingram, uh, Alvin Kamara's, I guess, kind of long-term running mate. Now they were together before, uh, with the saints and then Mark Ingram went off to a couple of other teams, did his thing, uh, was with the Ravens, loved him over there. And then finally came back over here, uh, to new Orleans. And, uh, yeah, those two seem to really enjoy each other. So, uh, love to see them there. And then Tony Jones Jr. behind them as well as Dwayne Washington and Abram Smith coming in as an undrafted free agent. And in your wide receiver room, Michael Thomas finally coming back from injury, crossing our fingers. Um, he last played a regular season game in 2020, which number one is crazy to think is already two years ago, but then number two, crazy to think that Michael Thomas, he did play in the playoffs, but he was like almost non-existent and was clearly not ready to be back like at all um, in the 2021 playoffs. So, but his last regular season game uh, was in 2020. And then Chris Olave coming in as your first round draft pick, as we talked about before out of Ohio state. Um, yeah. I mean, love to see that. That's going to be a great option for Jameis there uh, behind them. Uh, you have Marquez Callaway and then uh, which another like, in the absence of Michael Thomas, honestly, Marquez, Marquez Callaway was probably their best wide receiver. 
I don't, I, I maybe like, I mean, he was certainly not as consistent as you'd like, but he's also an undrafted free agent. Um, so just the fact that he was as uh, consistent as he was is great for uh, that part of it anyway. Uh, and then behind him, Trey Colin Smith, uh, also another guy that stepped in and gave you some production. Kawan Baker, Kevin White, and Dijene Dixon coming in as an undrafted free agent. And then Kirk Merritt as well. Uh, and then slot wide receiver, or at least assumed slot wide receiver, uh, you have Jarvis Landry, who he can play outside as well, um, coming in from Cleveland. Uh, and then Deontay Hardy, who, if you don't know who that is, uh, which I didn't when I looked it up, because I was like, I, is that who I think it is? But it's a different name. So this, he was known as Deontay Harris, uh, and was their uh, upcoming, or is their upcoming uh, like returner that's been really good for them the last few years. But last year, he changed his name, last name from Harris to Hardy uh, in respect to his stepfather, uh, which I thought it was pretty cool actually. Uh, but because he missed the deadline uh, or whatever deadline that the NFL has uh, for like name changes, I guess it did not uh, like they didn't show it on the Jersey. And so it took till this year for that to come into effect. Um, so now, on all the rosters and everything he's referred to as Deontay Hardy, but he actually has been Deontay Hardy since uh, like summer of last year. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's I, cool. I, I, yeah. I literally didn't know that at all, uh, but I thought that was interesting. So I figured I'd include that. And uh, yeah. So then behind them, uh, Aesop Winston and Rashid Shahid coming in as an undrafted agent. I like that name. It's fun to say Rashid Shahid. I, know, I love that name. <laughs> and then uh, at tight end, talk about Adam Troutman, an up, up and coming guy. Um, he's been solid for them so far, and I think he's only going to get better. Uh, and then when you talk about the quarterback room and Taysom Hill in there, there's been a lot of talk now that you have the backup position taken care of with Andy Dalton, uh, and you're kind of tied up with a Taysom Hill contract unless you want to straight up cut him. Uh, they're talking about putting him in at tight end and uh, moving back to some of the things that Sean Payton did with him um, before they really gave him an opportunity as a starting quarterback. Uh, and he's kind of done that stuff sparingly, like while he's had a quarterback role, but it was pretty noticeable that once they gave him that quarterback opportunity, they were like, okay, well, we don't, now that we're relying on him as a quarterback, we don't want to um, put him as at risk nearly as much as we did before. Um, so I think now, it looks like they're going to shift a little bit back to um, where he was on the field a little bit more uh, as that kind of, you know, toolsy can line up wherever and um, just find me with the ball type of player. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, I think he's much more effective in that role than he is as a starting quarterback. Uh, although I will never forget him uh, getting the win against the Denver Broncos in our game that uh, in the COVID season that we had all of our quarterbacks out by rule because oh, yeah. they like messed with the uh, trackers or whatever. And uh, so we had to start uh, hall of fame quarterback uh, Kendall Hinton, you know, <laughs> which is currently on our roster as a wide receiver, which, you know, we, we love to see it. Um, Wasn't he like a, an office manager or something? When the Broncos called him, he was like doing some other shit. Yeah, he's well, he was uh, like, I think he's literally he was an undrafted free agent. So 
I'm sure he has other uh, jobs and stuff. And then he was a um, wide receiver who we kept kind of bouncing back from the practice squad. Um, and then he played quarterback in college. So when all of our quarterbacks were out of all the players they could have chose, they brought him up um, and put that poor dude. He's like 5'11 or 5'10 or something, like just a small guy, like hasn't played quarterback since college. They called him up on like two-day notice, and they were like, you're the starter. It was like Friday, and the game was like Sunday, and they were like, you're the starter. Uh, and he's like, what? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, obviously – he had one completion to Noah Fant on a bubble screen for like 11 yards and just got completely wrecked by the uh, Saints defense that entire game. And it was like the saddest thing that I've ever watched yeah. as a football fan. Uh, but he got into the Hall of Fame for it because they put like as like a COVID, um, uh, you know, like little section in the Hall of Fame, like kind of commemorating the whole season or whatever. Uh, they put um, his like quarterback play wristband thing uh, from that game in there, so he's a Hall of Fame quarterback in my eyes. In my eyes, yep. Sure. <laughs> Every time I refer to him, I call him a Hall of Fame quarterback. So, uh, yeah, I, I, exactly. Uh, I got way off track with that, but uh, yeah, we were in the tight end. So yeah, Taysom Hill um, going to probably take a lot of snaps at tight end or at wide receiver or at whatever they want to use him at. Um, even as a halfback, I think they used him sometimes too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him back in that role behind them. Speaking of the Broncos, Nick Vanette, a former Bronco, uh, coming over here. Uh, and he's solid. He's a decent blocker and is like, he exists on the uh, passing side of the game. Um, uh, but I mean, solid enough as your third tight end. Um, and then Juwan Johnson behind him and JP Holtz, uh, coming in from Chicago, and Kahil Waring coming in from Jacksonville, and then Lucas Kroll coming in as an undrafted free agent. And then you talk about your offensive line. So left tackle is, uh, at least it appears at this point, going to be an open competition. Uh, you have Trevor Penning, your first-round draft pick, number, what was it, 19? Yeah, 19. And um, then behind him, James Hurst. Uh, he started much of last year in relief, uh, and PFF gave him a 69.2 grade. Um, so he's solid enough. And I think that if Penning isn't ready, which in my opinion, I don't think Penning is going to be ready like instantly, um, then James Hurst probably ends up taking that left tackle job. But with that said, I mean, we've talked about this on the show before. Clearly the Saints are very proficient at drafting, like identifying, first of all, drafting and then developing offensive alignment because they've done it time and time again. Um, their whole offensive line is made up out of draft picks uh, pretty much. And, and like uh, ones that like didn't necessarily come on immediately that they developed. So I think that uh, this was a very good spot for Trevor Penning. Uh, and yeah, I mean, very possibly could be ready to start immediately uh, depending on the coaching he receives and, uh, how quickly he can learn, but um, he did definitely have some things that uh, I would like to see cleaned up uh, when you're talking about like his college tape um, with the NFL game. Like you love his um, physicality and the way he pushes guys around and, and the attitude of it, but that can't fly in the NFL and he's got to be much better technique wise. Uh, be, I mean, you know, like we're talking about if there's any team to go to, that's going to take care of that kind of stuff. 
it's like the Saints, the Cowboys, the Packers, you know, like the Saints are up there, if not the top name for offensive linemen and and developing. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see how that left tackle spot pans out there. Uh, Behind those guys, Ethan Greenidge, Sage Dockstatter coming in as an undrafted free agent. And then left guard, Andrus Pete, another Saints draft pick that they developed. Uh, behind him, Forrest Lamp, another Saints draft pick, uh, which we'll have to see um, how he ends up panning out. I don't think he's really like – I don't know how much opportunity he's actually really gotten yet, but I think in his limited snaps he has not been fantastic. But, I mean, you talk about this line being so proficient um, and generally healthy, even though they weren't last year, um, that he just hasn't gotten the opportunity yet. And then Josh Andrews behind them. At center, you have Eric McCoy and backing him up, Cesar Ruiz, who was initially drafted as a center, but he actually is your starting right guard uh, and has worked out better there than he did at center. Uh, Eric McCoy uh, got that spot taken care of there at center, um, so it works out. And then behind him, uh, Cesar Ruiz at right guard, you have Calvin Throckmorton. Sorry. And uh, he has... Uh, like a lot of range as far as backing up um, a lot of these inside offensive line guys. And uh, so he can do any of those positions. If you get injuries, you're not super deep as far as the inside offensive line, um, uh, like on the roster Uh, you're carrying like two to three in each position, but the versatility of Calvin Throckmorton definitely helps that out a little bit um, that he can come in and uh, help with, uh, each of those three inside offensive line positions. And he started 14 games last year and was uh, proficient as well. And then behind him, Lewis Kidd coming in as an undrafted free agent. And at right tackle, uh, you have Ryan Ramchick. Uh, not much to say there. Very, very good player. Um, and mm. yeah, yeah. And then uh, Landon Young and behind him, Gerald Hawkins. And then Derek Schwager coming in as an undrafted free agent. And so, yeah, that does it for your offense. And um, yeah, to recap, it's like you talk about all these positions, you have talent and you have uh, in a lot of cases, you're not even relying on young players. Um, Really you're talking about like left tackle. If Trevor Penning starts, James Hurst has experience, Um, you know, maybe a tight end, you're talking about some young guys, but you've got a a lot of talent in wide receiver. Uh, You've got a lot of talent in the running back room as long as you can get good quarterback play um, and certainly he's receiving enough help from the offensive line too. Uh, you know, as long as they stay healthy, you know, this could be a very good offense. It just all rides on uh, Jameis or maybe Andy Dalton. Um, and then, so moving on to the defense, starting with the safeties and moving down, we have uh, at free safety, Marcus may coming over from the jets uh, gr- great signing. I think we've talked about it a couple times. I know you really like him, uh, Enrique. I know I really like him. Uh, he's going to be a great field safety for them. Um, and then behind him, PJ Williams and JT Gray. Uh, you talk about strong safety. We have Teron Matthew coming over from Kansas City, just signed a few weeks ago now. Uh, yeah, love this uh, you know spot for him. Uh, coming back to uh, New Orleans after being an LSU Tiger. Um, and, I mean, yeah, you can't love it anymore, especially with Jarvis Landry coming back. Um, you know, the only thing that would be the cherry on top is seeing Odell come. Uh, I obviously don't think that they do that with the depth they have at wide receiver. 
Like maybe if they didn't draft Chris Olave, I could totally see that. Um, but with Chris Olave, you know, I can't see it, but it would be fun. Um, and then, yeah, so love that spot for Teron Matthew. Um, I'll be interested to see exactly what role they have for him. And I guess I'll talk about that in a second once we roll through the rest of these safeties. But uh, behind him, Daniel Sorensen also coming over from Kansas City. Uh, and then C.J. Gardner-Johnson and then Justin Evans. And don't forget about Justin Evans. He was a second-round pick. Uh, I believe it was in 2017 or 18. Um, and he was pretty solid. Uh, he did start some games, and he played uh, pretty good. He was a young guy, still developing. But he hasn't started a game since 2019 after suffering an Achilles injury. And then he missed the entire 2020 and 2021 seasons. Um, and finally making a comeback, finally starting to get healthy uh, in a very um, deep back or, uh, uh, backfield for the Saints. And so I, I'll be interested to see what kind of impact that uh, he can make. Um, and certainly nothing to sneeze at as a fourth strong safety. Um, and then behind him, even, you also bring in Smoke Monday as an undrafted free agent out of Auburn. Um, you know, with the depth of this room, I don't know that Smoke Monday is going to make the final roster, um, but as an Auburn fan, I would love, love, love to see it. And I do think that I really love this landing spot for Smoke, um, at, at least through training camp, which he hopefully makes it through. You know, we'll we'll have to see. You talk about Smoke Monday, and he's a he's not going to blow you away physically in any way. He's not the fastest player. He's not the strongest player. But he's a very, like, when you uh, compare to Teron Matthew and you think about the personality that he brings and the fire that he brings to a defense uh, and the leadership qualities and the, um, you know, knowing how to push his other guys, being a very smart player um, that can make up for some of those physical deficiencies uh, by making smart plays. Um, I think that's Smoke Monday to a T. And so I love the spot for him so that he's behind Teron Matthew. He can see him every single day in practice. And not even only Teron Matthew, but then you talk about Marcus May, a super talented safety, CJ Gardner, Johnson, nothing to sneeze at, uh, Justin Evans still. Like there's just so many. At PJ Williams, there's so much talent on this roster at specifically that position. Um, as an Auburn fan, I absolutely love this spot for him. Uh, and I hope he can make the most of it because uh, if he's going to uh, make a roster and stay on a roster uh, and have an NFL career, um, I think that uh, landing in a spot with so many talented, talented players to learn from and to uh, see the way that they work, that's going to do wonders for him. Uh, at least I'm crossing my fingers. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about that, uh, those safety rooms. And as I was alluding to is like, I literally don't, I think Marcus May is going to be your starting free safety. And then outside of that, I do not know what this uh, defensive backfield is going to look like. And I think that there's too much talent here to not be creative. You know what I mean? Especially when you talk about Dennis Allen uh, being the head coach, he's been your defensive coordinator, uh, you know, for, since 2015 uh, he's been a defensive backs coach uh, for the Saints as well. And I mean, it's just hard to imagine he's not going to see all the talent in these safety and cornerback rooms and, uh, you know, just like start uh, 
drooling a little bit <laughs> even it's like there's just so much here and you talk about the cap gymnastics that the saints pull off like this is what you talk about and you see the depth and you're just like how how do you <laughs> how do you have this many good plays like how do you how did you steal both starting safeties from the kansas city chiefs like just stop right but uh just stop but uh yeah so and then uh we'll go ahead and move on to the cornerback room uh you start with your young star Marshawn Lattimore uh been great for the last few years uh really only getting better um and then behind him Paulson Adebo uh going into I think his second or third year and um uh, he's been solid so far but I think he's got a lot of room to grow obviously still a young guy behind him Bradley Roby longtime starter former Bronco um former uh, part of the uh, no fly zone as well uh, before he went over to the Texans and uh, wound up here. And uh, yeah, I can't complain about him as a, a third cornerback. And then behind them, Alante Taylor, who they just drafted in the second round, number 49 out of Tennessee. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be an immediate contributor, uh, maybe on special teams, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see how he develops. Um, and he's got a lot of potential. And then behind them, Jordan Miller, Dylan Mabin, Vincent Gray coming in as an undrafted free agent, and Demarcus Fields coming in as an undrafted free agent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not the deepest of rooms when you talk about pure cornerback, um, but then you talk about that uh, those safety rooms, and you've got so much there uh, that I, I think that you're going to see a lot of those safeties um, covering in the slot, being nickel guys. Uh, I even think when you talk about Teron Matthew, maybe even Smoke Monday, if he magically, if he really shows out and makes this roster and not only makes this roster, but then carves out a role, I think the type of role that he could be in is almost in like a run support um, nickelback sort of like, because you see a lot more now um, with the defensive going to nickel dime packages. So you can talk about those safeties covering um, wide receivers and tight ends, but then also coming in on run support as Teron Matthew and Smoke Monday uh, would be really, really good at in particular, um, just suiting their game more. So th there's just so much you can do with these guys. Um, yeah, I'll really be interested to see what Dennis Allen does in this backfield. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the slot cornerback uh, room, it, it is kind of interesting though. When you look at the cornerback room, there really is no dedicated slot on this team, at least that's developed yet. You know what I mean? And I think that we talk about Marshawn Lattimore and Bradley Roby, those guys have taken snaps at slot and you wouldn't be like, there's teams worse off than Bradley Roby or Marshawn Lattimore at the slot position. But I view both of those guys primarily as outside cornerbacks. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, maybe Paulson Adebo, but I think he's an outside guy as well. Um, Alante Taylor has an outside cornerback frame, but you just never know who's going to pop up on the roster. Um, but at, at the very least, you talk about CJ Gardner Johnson in that spot, um, slash the nickel spot, uh, maybe PJ Williams. And then you're talking about nickel in general, you know, like I said, Tehran, Smoke One Day, even Daniel Sorensen, find a spot for him. Like, you got to find a way to get that talent on the field. Um, especially if you're committing a decent amount of money to it too. Um, and then moving into inside linebacker, you have DeMario Davis and then Pete Warner, uh, Zach Bond and Caden Ellis, and then DeMarco Johnson coming in 
uh, in the fifth round, number 161 out of Appalachian State. Uh, probably going to be a special teams guy immediately. Um, but he does have some potential as well. Erica Wilson coming in, uh, Andrew Dowell, and then Nephew Sewell, who's actually Penne Sewell's brother, yeah, an interesting little tidbit, um, who he's got like, I think it's like four brothers. Um, and oh, I think nice. there's another one that's he's in college, but uh, I'm not sure if he got drafted or not, uh, or when he will be. But um, yeah, Nephew Sewell, Penny Sewell's brother. Um, and then Isaiah Pryor also coming in as an undrafted free agent. Um, yeah, you talk about the three starters there. Uh, you're in a base 4-3, so you have three inside linebackers out. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're happy with Tamario Davis. I think Pete Warner and Zach Bond, you've gotten good things from them so far, um, but certainly not your strongest overall room, even if Tamario Davis is definitely one of your stars on the team. And then moving on to the inside defensive linemen, uh, you have David Onyemata, very solid. Shy Tuttle, also very solid. Um, and a young player uh, starting to get really good and only getting better. Uh, Kentavia Street coming over from San Francisco has been a, a solid contributor in the past. Um, so nothing to sneeze at at your third inside defensive lineman. Uh, Malcolm Roach and then Albert Huggins. And Jordan Jackson also coming in uh, the sixth round at number 194 from Air Force. And then Jaleel Johnson coming from Houston and Josh Black coming in as an undrafted free agent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, solid room there. Um, again, you have 4 3 defense. So, you have two inside defensive linemen on the field at any given time, generally speaking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Onyamata and Tuttle uh, is a very solid co uh, combination. You have Street that can come in and give you some uh, time there. And then behind them, uh, pretty unproven guys, but Jordan Jackson definitely has some upside. Uh, Malcolm Roach has played some and been okay. Um, so nothing to sneeze at and uh, part of one of the better defensive lines in the league for sure. Uh, and then you talk about the rest of that line uh, at your defensive linemen and your ends. You have Cameron Jordan. Uh, one of, if not, is, is Cameron Jordan the best player on the Saints or is that Marshawn Lattimore? Or is it Michael Thomas? Um, there's so, there's just like so many. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say for a long time, it was Cameron Jordan. And Maybe I would not say anymore. Probably, yeah, I would say he's still probably the second best player. I would say Lattimore is probably one. I think so. Or even Tehran is up there at this point. I think I you're right put, though. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I put Tehran three. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how much talent is on this roster for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, Cameron Jordan on one end and then uh, Marcus Davenport on the other, uh, very solid player there, still developing. And uh, Tano Capasanon, sorry, I can't even, yeah. And then Peyton Turner and Taco Charlton coming over from Pittsburgh. Um, we'll have to see with Taco. I think this literally could be one of his last spots. Because um, he's been through yeah. – I think this is his fourth team in four years. Well, he's been through everybody. He's been through everybody. And he's not made a whole lot of a dent at, at any of those spots, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll have to see. I love his name, though. Um, I do. Like but, uh, yeah, and then Carl Granderson uh, finishing out that room. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, one of the best lines in football. Um, I think after your starters and Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, the, uh, you know, you talk about – 
Capasignon, sorry, and then Peyton Turner um, and Taco Charlton. Like, you're not overwhelmingly happy with those as rotation guys, especially in a league now where uh, it's very popular to have solid rotations on that defensive line. Um, but I think that Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport are also both guys that, uh, you know, take a lot of the snaps of the game anyway and can take that sort of load uh, alongside Anyamata and Tuttle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not much to complain about with that defensive line, uh, one of the best in football. And then we talked about the uh, defensive backfield and how many players they have there. You could talk about cornerback as a weakness, I guess, just depth-wise. But I think, again, there's enough safeties there that have ability, coverage ability, or uh, run defense ability that you can put into nickel and dime slots and uh, be creative with that I, I don't view that as an issue for this roster. And then I think the only place that I look at that is like a spot that I'm like, eh, you could stand to put somebody in there is the inside linebacking room. But I mean, with uh, Demario Davis, obviously, uh, you know, your best one there uh, at that middle linebacker spot. And then Pete Werner and Zach Bond at your uh, weak and strong side linebacker positions. Um, yeah, I think you could stand to upgrade there. But if that's the worst thing you're complaining about on this defense of just absolutely, it's just so stacked with talent. It's so talented. Um, that That's certainly, you know, you could be complaining about worse things on your roster. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very great defense has been for the last few years. Uh, had a couple of departures, but brought in enough talent that uh, not only do I, I don't know if they're even going to take a step down, they could even be better, like, frankly, especially if you get good play out of Jameis. Um, that's only going to elevate the defense. So we'll just have to see. But uh, special teams-wise, your punter, you have Blake Gillikin and then De uh, Daniel Whelan coming in as an undrafted free agent and kicker Will Lutz and John Parker Romo coming in as an undrafted free agent, and your returner, uh, also the wide receiver we were talking about earlier, Deontay Hardy. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're happy with all three of those positions, I think. Uh, Will or Blake Gilligan, rather, is a younger guy, and so, I mean, maybe you could stand to uh, improve on that side, but I you don't feel that is a weakness. And then Will Letts has been a longtime starter, happy with that, and Deontay Harder, or Hardy, one of the uh, rising stars as a returner and then starting to carve out a role uh, on the offense. So you do kind of wonder if um, uh, kind of like uh, uh, what's his name? Is it Washington in um, Pittsburgh, the returner that became like an offensive weapon and then they like stopped using him as a returner? Oh, yeah. Um, they did that with him. And um, they had another guy that they did that with too. Yeah. Was it was like, uh, what was that dude's name? He was like, well, Antonio Brown that. did that too, actually. Now that I think yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. That's kind of like a Pittsburgh thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you see it like, I think, you know, when there's just a star player, obviously they're going to be good at returner. Um, and then when you give them an opportunity, in the actual offense because they were a star player all along, like they have that potential they were going to get there. Um, but you do see sometimes uh, teams try and it just doesn't work out like Isaiah McKenzie with the bills. 
where he really was yeah. kind of a star at returner. And then you try and try to get him an offensive role and he's just not built for it. And I mean, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. It's just, you know, sometimes you don't know until those guys get a role and then you're like, okay, he can play offense. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well he can play offense. So now do we really want him returning punts? Um, so we'll just have to see. I think obviously he he comes in as your returner, um, and I think you have enough depth in this wide receiver room that he probably won't even see that much action anyways. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be one of those guys that develops into an offensive role, uh, and then they end up finding a different guy at returner eventually, because um, he's a really talented guy and he's fast. Right on, yeah. Well, and the you know another team that has an offensive weapon like that, um, the New York Jets with Braxton Berrios. Yes, sir. He's he's developed quick too. Like he was uh, good on offense with you guys last year, and like, yeah. could you consider him Zach Wilson's favorite target? Um, I think in the second half of the season, I probably did. Just when because, he played his best um, football. Yeah, well, that and. Because Elijah Moore kind of came into his own a little bit, like, like right when um, Zach, like, so like Zach got hurt, and then Elijah Moore was like playing really good, and then right as Zach was getting ready to come back, Elijah Moore got hurt, and so like mm. they missed each other. But um, yeah, Braxton was definitely one of uh, Zach's favorite targets for sure. And I mean, honestly, I can't even tell you who that's going to be this year, just because. Um, we just have like so many more weapons for him this year. It's just even crazier. But sorry, didn't mean to uh, jump off there. Um, I'll let you oh, do your thing again. It's, I mean, it's relevant to the conversation. And I, I'm uh, excited about Braxton Berrios too, because like you talk about that and him starting developing uh, offensive role there. And then now he has the offseason expecting to be uh, in that role. And you could tell he's taking it seriously. Uh, so I, I'm excited. Yeah, dude. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do this year. Zach Wilson only getting better. Braxton Berrios uh, committed to um, improving. And yeah, I mean, in a very talented room, he's not even going to need to be relied on necessarily. But if Braxton Berrios can come in and uh, be a really solid contributor, you know, the second, third, fourth spot, whatever it is, like, I don't think he's the fourth wide receiver, but you know what I mean? Um, you know, nothing more you can ask for. Um, and especially give him that deep threat too, just straight line deep threat. Like that's a very solid weapon to have. Um, exactly. And yeah, something that you can hope that Deontay Hardy, Hardy here can uh, develop into, which I think he's shown some of that. Um, but yeah, I don't know that you can necessarily commit to him uh, fully offensively yet, but I think he's shown some really good stuff. Um, and then, so yeah, I guess that really does it for the roster. Uh, so going into the three biggest storylines for this team going into the season, uh, and number one, Sean Payton's done and Saints stuck with the in-house guy, Dennis Allen. Can he keep the team at the level that Payton did? Um, you know, personally speaking, I've never been a huge fan of Sean Payton, but there is absolutely no arguing that he is a Hall of Fame coach uh, that led the Saints to uh, very you know, long history of success while he was there and a franchise that didn't have a lot of that before he got there. Um, and the consistency at which he brought it granted, 
you know, you can say, oh, he had Drew Brees and they came in together and they had that relationship. And yes, that's obviously a component. Um, but I mean, you know, anybody with eyes can tell you that Sean Payton was a very, very good football coach uh, and a Hall of Fame one at that. Um, so losing him is not nothing. Uh, even when you, if you have Dennis Allen and uh, it seems like the Saints are very confident in his ability, uh, he's had a very good track record as a coach. Um, but as we talked about initially with him is being a first time head coach, it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are. There's always going to be some hiccups. There's always going to be learning because you're in a role you've never been in before. And that's just how it works. Um, and so we'll have to see with Dennis Allen, especially early in the season, um, how quick are you going to get the team going and can you get them playing at the same level, uh, that they were before, um, and especially defensively, you hope to not see a uh, regression, especially with him being the exact same coordinator, um, but obviously taking on a lot more responsibility now. Hopefully the defense doesn't take a step back as well. And then at number two, can famous Jameis turn it around and cut the tur turnovers, stay healthy, and lead the Saints team to compete? And, yeah, I mean, talked about this a little bit earlier as well as, like, this entire season really, really, really comes down to yes, Dennis Allen, yes, other things, uh, yes, just luck as every season does, but it comes down to Jameis and whether or not he can take the step that he needs to take as a quarterback. Um, and otherwise, even if you have Andy Dalton, uh, who can maybe lead this team to the playoffs, I do not view him as a, a quarterback that even has a shot of um, talking about a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? But if Jameis can come on and uh, really like even give me a 30 touchdown, 15 or 20 interception year instead of 30 interceptions, like even that would be good enough because this team is so talented. Even a 30, 20, 30, 15 season would be good enough to float through the regular season, through the playoffs um, especially in a weak NFC and a weak uh, NFC South, other than the uh, Buccaneers, obviously that's you're talking about the Buccaneers and then what the Packers are really going to be your biggest threats uh, deep into the playoffs. And I think that if Jameis is playing good football, this team is talented enough um, to compete with those teams again, provided Dennis Allen is the answer at head coach too. Um, so those are really the two biggest things for this team is, head coach and quarterback. And those are never questions you want to have coming into the season. Um, but it's such a talented team that uh, it's hard to predict them completely collapsing, uh, especially when they have a past of winning as well and have that experience. Um, and then our third question, can the team stay healthy at crucial positions? Uh, so obviously you talk about Jameis, uh, you talk about Michael Thomas, you talk about some of those defensive guys. Nothing's going to hurt this team more than losing those star players at those star positions. Um, and, I mean, this offense has struggled mightily without Michael Thomas as a threat. You like to think about, like, how different it would have been even with the bad quarterbacks starting Trevor Simeon, as much as I love him, and um, starting Taysom Hill and all those guys. If you have Michael Thomas, it's a different ballgame because he's that kind of wide receiver. Um, so, you know, him and other guys staying healthy. And then for obviously Jameis is not going to be playing well if he gets injured again. Um, so their season really depends on that. 
Um, and then I guess with that, uh, well, actually, Enrique, did you want to uh, add anything with any of those questions? Uh, no, I mean, well, I guess on the last, the last two. So obviously, me and you have varying opinions on Jameis Winston and how we think he's going to do this year. Um, I still think that, you know, I'm going to stick with my prediction of um, he's going to be all right. I don't think that he's going to cure all of the problems that ails him. Um, but for a loaded Saints team, um, yeah, I think staying healthy is the exact thing that they need. Um, I think they ha- might have had a, uh, a shot last year if Jameis would have stayed healthy as well. Um but yeah, I mean, not even just Jameis, but like you know, you know, Michael Thomas, you bring up right away. Um, you know, he hasn't been on the field for two years uh, practically, so you know we need to get him back. And then the offensive line is so crucial, you know. And I don't feel like the Saints ever have like real terrible offensive line bad luck, but um, I think that offensive line really needs to stay intact. Give Jameis lots of time to throw the ball. Give him good give Jameis every opportunity he needs to um, make a good decision with the ball, because that's where he's really struggled yeah. um, before, you know? Yeah. And yeah. yeah but otherwise I, I think you, uh, I think you killed it. Thank you, my good sir. And yeah, I totally agree. Um, that's, you know, anything you can do to make Jameis's life easier. And you talk about all the weapons and everything that they've added around him and uh, refreshing that left tackle spot. And hopefully it's enough and we'll just have to see. Um, but yeah, with that, we can go ahead and move into the Saints schedule. Uh, so starting from week one at the Atlanta Falcons, I expect this to be a win most likely. And then moving over to week two versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I put this as a win because I view the Saints and the Buccaneers as splitting their series um, over, over the season. And obviously the more likely game for the Saints to win is going to be their home game. However, this is, and we'll talk about it a little bit later um, after the schedule, but this is one of my biggest games of the season because you talk about Jameis coming into, not his new role since he was a starter last year, uh, but coming into coming off of his injury and coming into this season, a very important season for him. And then you have Dennis Allen in his second game as a head coach uh, facing an established Super Bowl winning team with Bruce Arians, uh, potential, probably Hall of Fame he- head coach. Or no, I'm sorry, not Bruce Arians, because um, he retired, Todd but he's Bowles. still kind of there. Todd Bowles. Um, and a very solid coach in his own right. Um, and then, uh, you know, part of that established culture. So I guess, yeah, to that point, I guess Todd Bowles, but he's not a first-time head coach, at least. He is a second-time head coach. Um, but you do have a different head coach there. Um, but the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, I do expect to be more cohesive and more ready by week two. So I question that game and whether the saints are going to be able to take it. Um, And I do think that like, that's a pretty big hinge on your season, especially when you're talking about competing with the Buccaneers for the NFC South. Uh, If you don't take your home matchup, you're most likely not taking your away matchup uh, with the Buccaneers. Uh, So that instantly puts you at a disadvantage for the division. And then moving on to week three, uh, you are at Carolina Panthers, have that as a W. Week four versus Minnesota Vikings. This is the London game they have. Uh, I view that as a win as well. Week five versus the Seattle Seahawks, a win. 
week six versus Cincinnati uh, win. And I do think this is a big one for them. Uh, week seven at Arizona Cardinals. And this is their Thursday game. Uh, I've put this as a loss. And then week eight versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, a win on that one. Week nine versus Baltimore Ravens. I have a loss. And then week 10 at Pittsburgh Steelers, a uh, win. Week 11 versus Los Angeles Rams, a loss there, uh, the defending Super Bowl champions. And then week 12 at San Francisco 49ers, a win there. Uh, week 13 at Tampa Bay Buccaneers, most likely a loss, as we talked about earlier, uh, but that'll be a big one for them. And then after that, you get your bye week finally. Uh, and then week 15, Versus the Atlanta Falcons, I view that as a win as well. Week 16 at Cleveland Browns, I have them losing. Week 17 at Philadelphia Eagles, I have them winning. And then finishing it off with week 18 versus Carolina Panthers, I have that as a win as well. Um, So to go over it, when you look at the prediction, I think if Jameis, like I said, everything hinges, hinges on Jameis and whether or not he can deliver good enough play. If you are going to deliver another 30-30 season or just have that many receptions, even if you have the touchdowns, it's not going to outweigh the mistakes and you're going to drag down the team. But if you can at least provide decent enough production and then pull back those interceptions and pull back those turnovers enough, the defense is good enough and the weapons around Janus are probably going to be good enough to carry this team there um, and really make a a chance to contend if he doesn't stab the team in the back. You know what I mean? It's such a big, if I can't even stress it. Um, So if he does deliver on that and gets better, I view this team anywhere from 10 and seven to 12 and five. Um, And I think as we went through the uh, schedule here, this is a 12 and five, what I predicted and uh, yeah, I think it could be anywhere around there. There's a few games that they could lose. Uh, if he doesn't, I don't even know. This team could be so all over the place uh, because it doesn't even matter how talented your defense is if your offense is so reekingly bad that it uh, is pulling the defense down with the turnovers and the bad field position. Uh, you talk about uh, Carolina, like we were just talking about. They don't have anywhere near as good as a defense, like, Um, and the depth wise as well that the saints do, but they have some really solid pieces. And especially last year, they had even more really solid pieces and a good defense overall, but the offense was not, especially without Christian McCaffrey and Sam Darnold struggling and then Cam Newton coming in, the offense was not good enough and so bad actually that it just dragged down the defense and they got worse throughout the season. Um, so it's, it's just going to depend. So if, if James has an awful season, um, you could literally see uh, the 2019 bucks with his 30 touchdown, 30 interception season or seven and nine. Um, so you could see a seven and 10 season. You could see six, five wins, right? It could be all over the map um, just depending on James And I guess, depending on Dennis Allen as well. Um, so some of my thoughts on the schedule, um, they really need to not drop the easy games uh, in the beginning and the end of the season. You talk about week one and 15 versus the Falcons uh, three and 18 versus the Panthers week four, that London game versus the Vikings week five versus Seattle uh, week 10 versus the Steelers. 
Uh, that one's like straight in the middle, but it's the easiest game in that stretch there for sure. And I think that that's one you probably really need to take. Uh, it's a home game as well. And then week 17 versus the Eagles as well, another home game, and that's at the end. Um, but right in that middle stretch, it's so brutal. There's You just face so many good teams. You talk about from week six, You so you just faced – you come in and face the Falcons, Buccaneers, right, in week two. That's a big game. And then you have the Panthers, Vikings, Seahawks. That's like pretty meh. So you're ramping up a little bit. And then week six, you have Cincinnati at home, then the Cardinals on a Thursday game at Arizona, and then versus the Las Vegas Raiders at home, and then versus the Baltimore Ravens at home, and then week 10, that Pittsburgh Steelers game, which I really think they need to take. And then week 11, uh, you have the Rams at home. Week 12, the 49ers, you're at San Francisco, uh, which depending on, like we said, with Jimmy and Trey, they could either be good or meh. It really depends. Um, and then week 13, the Buccaneers again. And then you finally get your bye. Like, that's such a rough stretch. They have almost all of their really tough games in that middle stretch. Um, and I think that the between week 7 and 14, they need to take at least three to four of those games um, if they're talking about, like, being really actually competitive. Um, and then – my third thought here, uh, the Bucks home game in week two, uh, will it be too early into the season for the Saints to run full strength and beat an already established Bucks team? Uh, kind of like we would talked about earlier. Uh, and then if you lose the home matchup, it becomes much harder to win that division. So if that's your goal, if your goal is to try and make it in the playoffs and win the division against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers led by Todd Bowles, um, then you really, really need to take that home matchup. But it's just unfortunate timing in week two when you talk about Dennis Allen coming in as a new head coach um, and then James Winston trying to get off to a good start. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens with that. But that's definitely one of the biggest games for them. Um, and then, yeah, Enrique, did you have any thoughts to add on the schedule here? Um, no, I mean, I, I agree 1,000%. Like, I can see the Saints winning 12 Follow these games for sure. Um, they do have to hit on all those big ones, though. Like that Rams game is big, especially so late in the season. Yeah. 49ers game is big. That's probably going to determine some playoff, um, you know, um, positioning. Sorry. Couldn't think of the word. Um, so, yeah. And then, I mean, got the Raiders and the Ravens thrown in there, too. Those are two tough AFC teams that they have to play. So, yeah, and then, yeah, depending on what uh, that week 16 game um, at the Browns, depending on who the quarterback is, you know, they could, um, you know, they could lose that game. They could win that game, you know. So, yeah, it's all it's all on Jameis. So we're definitely going to have to see what um, what it looks like. Yeah, man, it's it's a question of whether they're going to be eating those W's or taking those L's. And, uh, eating those Jamie. W's. <laughs> yeah. Stealing those, uh, stealing those crab legs. Stealing those crab legs. Exactly. Yeah, we're just – it's up to Jameis. Yeah, you're going to steal the L-shaped crab legs or you're going to eat some Ws, my friend. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's going to do it on the Saints. Um, yeah, this was a really fun team to break down, to be honest with you, uh, because I – like, there's a lot, there's been a lot of shifting 
but they still have the main core together. Just a lot of the pieces around the main core have shifted, especially this offseason. You bring in some of those new safeties, and then you talk about obviously losing the head coach. You lost Drew Brees last year. You're still in that transition to quarterback. Um, but this is a, such a talented team with such talented players on it. And, like, I haven't been the hugest um, Saints fan in the past, but I will say a lot of these players, it would be really cool to see them win after getting so close so many times and then seeing Drew Brees leave um, and not, like, leave empty-handed uh, when they really had some good opportunities to compete. Um, it got to be leaving a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, and I would love to see guys like, you know, like Cameron Jordan, Alvin Kamara. Um, you talk about like Marshawn Lattimore. Um, I mean, Tehran already has rings, but why not give him another one? You know, like there's so many players on this team I would love to see win. Um, so if they could come out firing on all cylinders, I really do think they have a chance to contend if Jameis is just lights out. Uh, he does, Well, like I said, he doesn't even have to be lights out. He just has to stay afloat and not shoot the team in the foot whether that's by just being so bad that it's not even worth it or by giving another 30 30 season where the um uh turnovers outweigh the good stuff you are doing on offense so it would like we've said a million times throughout this uh saints breakdown it's all up to Jameis, um and we're just gonna have to wait and see And then for our next section here, we're going to look at the NBA playoffs. Once again, uh, conference finals starting to finish off here. Uh, Golden State Warriors versus the Dallas Mavericks. Golden State taking that series four to one. And yeah, I think uh, I, I should have looked back, but I believe that we predicted that series with uh, Golden State winning, but it was going to be like six and uh, six to seven games. And unfortunately, uh, the Warriors were just too much. And I think that you saw throughout this whole playoff run with the Mavs, the supporting cast really uh, rally around Luka and rise up and uh, play better than I think a lot of people expected them to. And unfortunately, it seemed like once we got to the Warriors, uh, well, I think the effort was there. I don't think anybody gave up or anything, but the uh, supporting cast was just not able to play at the same level that they were uh, in these previous series against the uh, very good Golden State Warriors and very deep Golden State Warriors. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Luca was able to, to will one game out of the series, almost willed another. Uh, but in a lot of those Golden State wins, the Mavs just looked at completely outmatched. Yeah, I, I mean, I think – so there's two things that I always think of when I think of the Golden State Warriors. I always think they're like their bench guys, like their second team is like some – some other teams playoff first team, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're so overwhelmingly deep and that's the problem that that's a problem that the Mavs face. That's a problem that the Nuggets face. That's a problem that the Grizz face. That's a problem with the Warriors um, is because they have, they have the big three, right? They have the splash bros and Draymond. Um, but now you have a Jordan pool. Now you have, um, and even more so, shout out to Steve Kerr because he really does use all of his guys. Like Otto Porter, yeah. Otto Porter Jr., the dude that looks like Will Chamberlain's great-great-grandson. <laughs> yeah. um, Moses Moody. Like, 
Yeah, exactly. Like that dude gets that dude gets used. You know, like obviously, I think Wiseman's uh, hurt, isn't he? Uh, James Wiseman. Wiseman's hurt. Kaminga, Gary Payton was solid for them before he broke his elbow. Dude, Gary Payton the second was a motherfucking monster before he broke dude. his elbow. Like, dude. if that dude was still playing and they had Wiseman, this the Mavs probably wouldn't have even won one game. If I'm being no. honest with you, I don't yeah. know if anyone would have won one game against them. But yeah, um, yeah I mean. I'm trying not to get too over, uh, I guess, over emotional when it comes to seeing Luca go home and seeing the fucking Warriors advance. But um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Shout out to Steph Curry. Shout out to Clay Thompson, mostly. Um, And yeah, I guess Golden Golden State's going to another another fucking finals. So (laughs) it is. It is what it is, man. That's that's what I'll say. To quote the great Max Holloway, it is what it is. It is what it is. I think I read it's their sixth finals berth in eight years. Did you see is... the um, the Kendrick thing? Oh, Kendrick Lamar? The, yeah, the Kendrick Lamar thing. Every single time he's dropped an album, they've won a championship. Oh, dude. Yeah. Can I, I hot take you real quick? Can I hot take you real quick? Go. I mean, it's going to be even more unfortunate if the Golden State Warriors win the championship with this uh, this year, like with Kendrick dropping and everything, because the Kendrick album was not even that good. I'm not even going to lie to you. Ryan. It was not that good. Dang. I didn't, I didn't like it. That's so crazy. There's too much baby team. I literally – I cannot tell you how much I've listened to this album on repeat. Like, Dude, I love this I just, album. So much, dude. So much. It's actually like not like besides um besides um what the fuck um I didn't like damn. What was the album before damn? Before damn was to pimp a butterfly. Okay, so yeah, so uh to pimp a butterfly was probably my favorite. Damn was I um but then like this is like by far my favorite Kendrick album. Um yeah, I've been I've been bumping the fuck out of this Kendrick album. It's like, you're lucky you don't have to work with me in the truck anymore because I've, I've already, you would have already been throwing the AirPods in, dog. I'm telling you. <laughs> you would have already uh, been throwing the AirPods in. Um, I've been man. bumping the fuck Let, out of this Kendrick album. I love listen, it so much. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's not bad by any means. And I like a lot of the things he tried to do on it, like both conceptually and then also musically. But I. Right. Personally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of Baby Keem's sound. And then I also thought there was too much Kodak Black on it. Um, And like, I don't know. It was just, it's different than what I like from Kendrick. Like, I'm very much a good kid, Matt City, Section 80. And then, like, if I'm ranking them, good kid, Matt City, Section 80, damn, to pimp a butterfly, like, untitled, unmastered. And then this is probably all the way at the bottom. Damn. That's so crazy. It's that's crazy. That is a hot take. That is it's it's a hot take, but I just I can't I've like listened to it like four times. And actually that's kind of a lie because I didn't make it all the way through it like two of the times because I was just like, nah. I will say though, actually, I feel like the back half is stronger than the first half. Uh yeah, I would agree. I think um so one thing about this album as well is 
like it has uh, very deep, meaningful songs. And yeah. I almost linking it to, um, and I won't get too crazy because I, I, I know there was poor show, but I almost linking <laughs> it to. Um, For everything show, bro. Right, pretty much. I almost link it to when J. Cole uh, dropped, um, what is that? Not What was the album before KOD? Uh, was that that wasn't Black Four Souls Drive, was it? For your, for your, no, For Your Eyes Only. For oh, your you're eyes. right. Yeah. Oh, that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. So that was a very personal album from J. Cole. And that is like, uh, it's like an RDC joke, um, which if you don't know who RDC is, you know, definitely shout out to those guys. Those guys are hilarious. Um, but it, it's a joke of theirs because everyone says that Cole album's trash. But it really is just like a, it's such a personal album. I don't know how people say it either. It's crazy. It's so um, there's some of my favorite uh, Cole songs are like at least exactly. two or three of my top ten exactly. on that album. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. This is why we co-host the show together. Um, Great minds think alike. Exactly. You're a man made of my own heart. Um, but so I, I I link this Kendrick album to that J Cole album very closely. Uh, because I think it's like a very personal album. And I think like, you know, if you've gone through some of these stuff, some, some of these things or have uh, experienced some of these things in your life, it's easier for you to understand. And it's easier for um, the lyrics to uh, hit you a little bit more, um, you know, but otherwise I think, um, you know, he, he just touches on a lot of uh, very hard to speak subjects and he introduces them to um, people in an urban environment that don't, always get introduced to them healthy you know mm. and so yeah yeah I, I, and i just really yeah i really appreciated this album from kendrick lamar but i don't appreciate is his track record with the golden state warriors <laughs> That's I, what I, I, don't appreciate. I agree with that wholeheartedly and then yeah before we because we're totally getting sidetracked so before we get back into the nba playoffs um i will say i totally agree with that and like I very much value music that tries. You don't even have to like be good at it. At least if you try to have to like to say something and have some sort of meaning or statement or like themes or anything in your music, like I appreciate that. And so that Kendrick Lamar has always, I mean, he's very much known for that as J. Cole is. I think even Kendrick, I would say more so than J. Cole, because that's just kind of been his, like, for almost his entire career. And J. Cole did kind of start out doing more, like, just, um, I don't even know if I want to call it, like, club rap, but I feel like you know what I'm saying, where it's just yeah. less, like, uh, themed and less, like, uh, it has, like, a story of the album and themes that it's trying to get across and messages and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I love that stuff. And yeah, it's a good album. It's just on my rank of Kendrick ones. I, I was kind of disappointed with that, but hopefully that means that the uh, Warriors will lose. And with that, we can go ahead and move into the other conference final series, which was the Miami heat or is because it's not done yet. Miami heat versus Boston Celtics, which is currently tied three, three and uh, game seven is actually going to be tomorrow, Sunday, May 29th. Um, and yeah, I mean, this has been a really great series. I think, uh, again, I should have pulled them up here, but I believe that we, uh, predicted that, uh, the series was going to go to six or seven as well. 
um, but that the Celtics are probably going to take it. And at this point in the series, I really think that either team could take it. Um, if Jimmy can will it, um, but then you could say the same thing about Tatum. Um, and I think we've seen both of those guys go off in this series. It's kind of been blowout against blowout. Um, and there's been, the games have been close, but then at some point one of the teams separates um, and that lead sticks. Um, so I kind of expect that to be the case come Sunday and we're just going to have to see. Um, uh, but I really hope that the Miami Heat take it. Uh, I can't be mad if the Celtics take it. They're a great team. They've played great. Um, they've also adjusted to Miami, but then at Miami, like this has been a fun series to watch because we talk about them being such a complete team. And so at that point, when you talk about very like a bunch of role players playing proficiently and you have your stars and everything, you then you really start to talk about like the head coach chess matches of uh, basketball. And I mean, that goes for like football too. When you have those talented players that can fulfill their roles consistently, then really smart, talented head coaches can play that chess match and utilize those pieces. And that is interesting to kind of uh, see it play out. And I think that's definitely happened uh, in this series. When you talk about, um, uh, I think it's, is it Umi Adoke is the Celtics uh, head coach. I apologize. I'm pretty sure I got that wrong, but um, yeah, you talk about him. And then of course I'm blanking on the Miami uh, Heat's head coach's name, Eric Spolstra, who's been there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Who's been there for years as well. Um, And both of those guys are very smart, good coaches. Uh, Udoka obviously uh, less experienced than uh, Spolstra is, but he's been really solid and uh, especially come on this year. I think as a coach as well, like I, I think he was a contender for coach of the year for sure, especially coming into the playoffs as the Celtics really started to ramp up after the all-star break. Um, I, I think he was definitely in that conversation and you see like, especially defensively in this series, it's been interesting to see um, the heat play defense that kind of stifled the Celtics for the first couple games uh, and they've adjusted uh, to be able to create offense. And then in uh, retaliation, the Heat readjusted and have been able to uh, bring this series to a seventh game, which uh, I really wasn't sure if they were going to be able to do after the Celtics adjusted, but Spolster has got the experience. And um, yeah, it's been a chess match and it's been really interesting to watch. And I, I think honestly, game seven has been, or it will be other than, the Mavs Suns game seven, which ended up being such a big letdown and just like shock and awe. I think this has, or this will be my uh, most like looked forward to playoff game of this year so far. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, it's such a perfect culmination of um, like, I feel like these have been some of the more entertaining uh, NBA playoff series that I've watched. Um, Obviously I'm a little, I'm a little sad because LeBron and the Lakers aren't in it. Um, But ultimately, I don't think I would have liked to see the Lakers play against that buzzsaw of a Warriors team. Um, That might, that might've ended up really bad, but um, yeah, when it comes to the heat and the Celtics um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the heats. You know, like I said last week, no more, no more Mr. Nice Boston Celtics guy. Um, I'm back to my true New York jets um you know boston hitting roots 
Um, so yeah, and plus okay. LeBron used to okay. play for Miami, so you know I have uh, I have my little biased um, LeBron fact for Miami. Right. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much to me going to be um, if Jimmy wants to win this or if Jason Tatum wants to win this. Yeah. Um, and I like literally cannot wait because it's like. It's so deserved for both teams. I'm gonna feel so so bad if um, if either of these teams really go home, honestly, because you know for the Heat, you feel like they've been a team that have been right on the cusp of things um, for the last couple of years. I mean, even going back to um, you know the the bubble season, um, yeah. you know, and really since they've gotten Jimmy, they've just been such a different team altogether. They were very very good before, but now with jimmy it's like a different um it's like a different dimension um it also goes to show that i mean i don't know ryan maybe the 76ers don't know what they're doing because they did get rid of jimmy butler yeah uh, i agree but <laughs> i miss uh, him right uh, but yeah i'm definitely gonna be rooting for jimmy and the heat to uh get to the finals because um but i mean either way I, I think both both of the teams from the East match up fairly well against the Warriors, but um, still going to be real hard. Still going to be real, real hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, with that, we can go ahead and move right into our NBA Finals predictions. Um, so, obviously, you have Golden State Warriors on the Western Conference side, unfortunately. Um, and then it's either going to be the Boston Celtics or the Miami Heat. So we could start with the, uh, if it is the Boston Celtics. Uh, for me, I have them, uh, the Warriors, taking the series in either six or seven games. That's just going to depend on how much the Celtics can hold in there. Um, as we talked about, I think the Celtics and the Heat, you can consider two of the deeper, uh, more cohesive teams in the entire uh, league and in, in these playoffs, certainly. Um right up there with the Warriors, uh, but the Warriors are just so deep. It's absurd. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just going to depend on uh, how long the Celtics can hold in there, and maybe, maybe, maybe they can uh, make it a series, but these Warriors just look so good right now. Um, but, and this is going to be some a uh, little bit of bias sprinkled in here. If we go over to the Miami Heat series, uh, or well, I'm sorry, actually, Enrique, uh, what's your prediction for the Boston Celtics series? If I don't skip you over. <laughs> oh no, you're good. Um, you're talking about the Heat and Celtics, right? Yes, or the uh, Warriors versus the Celtics, if that happens. Oh, Warriors. Uh, yeah, Warriors and six. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, Warriors and six. Um, and then. Uh, so yeah, and then the, I guess the the Miami Heat series, if that happens, what about that one? Um, that's going to be, uh, um, I still think it's the Warriors, but I do think it's the Warriors in seven. But I'm not going to be rooting for the Warriors. It just right. as a sports analyst, I think the Warriors are going to win regardless. Um, I just think that the Heat can put up a better matchup against them. Um, because I think Bam, Kyle, or Jimmy, or Tyler Hero, if I'm being honest with you, any of those guys can go off and have a, 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 a really big game, and that could kind of match some of the firepower that Golden State has. But, um, yeah, I think Golden State, either way, I just think Miami takes them one more game. Yeah, and for me, like, 
I, like I said, I'm sprinkling a little bit of bias in here because uh, I really like Jimmy and I want the Heat to win. Um, if it's not, you know, the Nuggets or uh, then I started rooting for the Suns and then they blew it as well. So uh, my third, no, my fourth team, because I was also rooting for the Sixers. So my fourth team that I'm rooting for this playoffs, because I like Jimmy Butler, I hope they win. But I agree I with they... you that <laughs> I agree with you that uh, just from a looking at the roster standpoint in the matchup, I think that the Heat, both the Heat and the Celtics, like we talked about, have the depth to potentially make it a series against the Warriors. But I think where the Heat differ from the Celtics uh, and how they match up against the Warriors in particular is Bam Adebayo and uh, the size that they have. They're not the biggest team in the world, but Bam Adebayo is a bigger or a better uh, big man than any of the guys that the uh, Warriors have on the roster. And that is really the one, if you want to call it weak spot, um, and I mean, obviously you have Draymond and he's going to be Draymond, um, but Bam Adebayo hopefully can go toe to toe. And then, so if you can have Bam really show up in this series and be uh, a catalyst for the team, and then obviously Jimmy's going to do his thing. He always does. Um, and you have those role players consistently doing their jobs. It's going to take a team effort from every single person on that roster. But if either of these two teams, the Celtics or the Heat that are left, are going to beat the Warriors, I think it would be the Heat because of that. And that's really the only – again, you can't even call it a weakness because you have Draymond who can cover um, and is very proficient at covering big men for the most part. But right. I think at, at a certain element, size just overpowers it and talent overpowers it. And I think Bam has the potential for that. But it just depends on how consistent all of those guys are going to be. Um, and, you know, you talk about, um, again, the chess matches with Spolstra and, um, uh, you know, Ume Adoka of the Celtics. But then if the Heat make it, then Spolstra and Kerr. And um, if Kerr can defensively, Kerr and Draymond, since he's basically a coach on the floor, if they can figure out how to take away Bam and then focus in on Jimmy like if you can eliminate Bam and then even pester Jimmy a little bit, the series is over. Like that's it. Like because you have to have those guys show up every single game, or it's not going to. Yeah, happen. yeah. No one can take a night off. Literally, no one can take a night off. Exactly. So I, I, I'm on that page with you. Is like realistically, the Warriors. You can almost crown them already. But like of the two teams, if anyone's going to put up a competition and maybe take it in seven games. I think the more likely one is the Heat because they do have that that little extra card in their pocket with the size. Um, but and that that's the other thing is like the uh, Heat don't really have a lot of size in their depth. So really, you're relying on that aspect to come from Bam and Bam in particular. So you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out and if the Heat even get there, which is a big if uh, against the Celtics team and Jason Tatum who are playing fantastic. Um, and who knows, maybe we're both uh, even undervaluing how well the Celtics are playing. And maybe after they, uh, or if they can put away this heat team, that gives them enough confidence to compete with uh, the buzzsaw of the Warriors. But um, I don't know, man. Like, I literally don't know who I want to lose more between the Celtics and the Warriors. <laughs> 
I can't I can't even decide. I know, I get it, dude. It's one of those things that's like either way, I'm okay with one of those teams losing because I can like relish in that, but I definitely yeah, want the Warriors to lose way more. Yeah, I guess we're gonna be both sad and then happy either way it goes. Cause you'll have one team to make fun of and the other one's like really them. They want it. At least it's been a while for the Celtics, I guess. And like, it would be cool to see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all those guys. And like, it's been cool to see um, Al Horford just like come alive all of a sudden, like bro is like walking with a cane for the last few years on the court. Like just look like such an old man. And then all of a sudden he just goes like super Saiyan in the playoffs and looks like he's like, 32. Dude, well, and that's what cracks me up. Full pulled the good old fucking uncle, uncle, or uh, what is it? Grandpa Joe from Charlie Grandpa and Chocolate Joe. Factory. Yeah. Where he fucking jumps up from the bed. He's like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. I can play basketball again. Like, we're going yeah. to the finals. I can play basketball again. We're going to the playoffs. I can play basketball again. It's fine. He hasn't worked in 20 years, but he's like, oh, dude, the Chocolate Factory, let's go. Right. Like, cracks me up, dog. I'm just like, uh. All right, Al Horford. All right, I, I see. I see. Especially that um, was it against um, fucking was it against Giannis, where they showed that yeah. clip of him getting like all angry, and then he just like goes beast mode, like dude. Scores, he, he gave he gave Giannis like a, a like a oh really like that's how it's gonna be like kind of look like, and I was like really you Al Horford like. You're looking at Giannis, the two-time MVP, former um, – was he the finals MVP too? Finals yeah. winner and finals MVP? Like, yeah. And you're you're giving him that attitude? Like, it's bold, but, I mean, it worked out. So, you know, good for him. And it, it's been funny, um, especially after – like, I still actually genuinely believe that, like – between Brett Brown being like one of the worst head coaches in, in all of the, all of the, uh, uh, all of the NBA. Wow. That was a sentence. Um, well, he was with the Sixers and then Al, For- Al Horford being there. Like I genuinely think Al Horford came from the Celtics and was like, you know, I'm just going to fuck things up while I'm here. <laughs> like he was so bad for us. It was, and then now he's he comes back to the Celtics. Like that's just his place, his home. He was not good in uh, Oklahoma City either. And then didn't he? There was like one more stop in there somewhere, but I don't know where it was. But yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, I can't. It yeah. doesn't even matter. But it was like one year, and he was bad. And then he com- comes back to the Celtics, and he's just like, cool. I'm happy now. I'm gonna like play sometimes. So, yeah, I suppose that will do it for our uh, predictions here. And uh, in turn, it's going to do it for the show today. This was a fun one. Thanks again for doing it with me, as always, Enrique. Uh, And thank everyone, or thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening, guys. And, of course, Ryan, thank you. I love doing this with you every single week. And we'll see you guys next week as well.